This is former 1981 Weyburn House League champ, Jim McKenzie, and you are listening to the Monday Noon. They're off to a rocket start on a New Year's Eve here in Chicago Stadium. And now we've got another one going, and it's Darren Kimball. This time out there dropping the gloves, and Kimball for the Chicago Blackhawks pulls the helmet of McKenzie off and starts pounding him. And McKenzie is not able to get much off with the right hands. And now he shakes loose and lets fly with a couple of right hands. A couple of Westerners going, and Twist gets the right hand going. McKenzie gets his right going. And boy, they're firing some bombs here. McKenzie going to work. Tony Twist and McKenzie gets the left go. A very good tussle on the part of both. Look at this. They got respect for each other. She never thought I'd be a star. Had no money and I had no car. Got lucky, got a break. Made some money, that's all it takes. And that, that's forever. Well, hello and a big welcome to all the degenerates and pigeons tuned in. Welcome to Twirl 177 of the Monday Nooner podcast, our pod as always. It's brought to you by the King of Trucks in Rosetown. Well, actually the full mainline automotive group with locations in Kindersley, Salvi, Rosetown, and Manitou out there in Watrous. Been the title sponsor for a long time. Back again here in 2024. Let's go. 2024, first episode of the new year. What do you guys think they got going on out there for a, uh, we haven't got any content yet from the King of Trucks, but what do you think they got for a, what would your guess be for a wagon. New Year's promotion out there? What do you think wagon, in, wagon into the new year with a Wagoneer. There you go. Yeah. 0.9% financing, no payments. Ever. For <laughs> one and a half months. <laughs> no, I don't free. know. I don't. I I saw I saw a gentleman driving a white wagoneer yesterday, and I looked over and I thought, "Holy shit, is that a nice vehicle?" I'm like, Beautiful. "That's a wagoneer in white." I haven't seen one in white yet, like pearl white. Is that what they, is that? Is it pearl white? They call it. No, the wagoneers are probably they got lots of stock. They got Jeeps, uh, Chrysler, Dodge. That that Dodge uh, Shane. What was it? The fifteen grand off the fifteen hundreds. Fifteen k. Yep. That's probably going to stick around. That's probably so, going to stick around, I, I figure, too. So just to clarify something from a show or two ago, there is a Wagoneer and a Grand Wagoneer. So obviously the Wagoneer is the, the basic, the more basic model, still very nice. The Grand Wagoneer is like the step up, the luxury cab, you know, the really slick looking unit. So I think of it as like the uh, the Wagoneer is the Sass Prairie and the Grand Wagoneer is the Long Lake. <laughs> if we're just comparing just a comparison so you couple different options for price points if you want to get into the one one of those uh, suvs but yeah they got lots of uh lots of stock right on both sides of the uh equation yeah. gm chrysler and we know we know that the snow is coming at some point we've been cheating winter to this point and i really have a, a question here what did the farmer's almanac say because i guarantee the fuck that farmer's almanac didn't say plus temperatures and no snow into january right well it's the uh it's the pig spleen right i was gonna <laughs> say what did pig spleen guys say it's always pig gnawing. spleen season yeah he was gnawing on it what did you Should do you know, know what he said for this year i'm just gonna look it up, up. 
Look it up. Buy some time. Hit anyway, the Google. You get your SUV because the snow is coming for mama or the kids. February is going to be mild for the most part, and temperatures will be above to average throughout the month with little snow in the forecast. Big swing guy. He knows. Did he, did he just change that in the last week? He heard um, us recording. Okay, so this article is on cjwwradio.com. Your home for country music in Saskatoon area. Um, let's see here. This January, the start of the new year will be cold and gradually start to warm up to average temperatures. Be a significant amount of snow throughout the month, tapering off towards the end of the month with temperatures above normal heading into February. And then February is going to be mild for the most part. So that's what the spleen guy is uh, he, giving us. He gets banged up and just takes his best guess. <laughs> it's some red red wine finished whiskey from last mountain guzzles the whole thing and been like this is what i think yeah doesn't sound like it's gonna get too bad though at all we're uh we're fortunate shout out i know we're a little early early for shout outs for synergy ag the guy who was out at the uh joanne goulet golfing the other day hitting some uh some long irons ranges out there for a christmas day buzz i saw somewhere on social media played a few holes I've nice. uh, I've known people that have done that in 1996, going into 97, when there was no snow, and then obviously this year, I had to say you golfed in Saskatchewan on Christmas Day. Mainline Automotive Group, the title sponsor, as always. Let's get going. What number did you say this was? What twirl? What neighborhood? One one seventy seven. One seventy seven. If you would have told me, you know what I think we should do right now, guys. And we should go into a little story time. Who's story time for usually the tirade? That's for high tech. High profiles. tech. Let's let's high give tech. them a plug off the top. Do it, high do, tech. Yeah, do them at the start. Let's let's talk about our friends at High Tech Profiles in Regina and Saskatoon. If you have just tuned into the program and you're saying, "What is High Tech Profiles?" Well, Saskatchewan's largest steel processor, over 100 staff working around the clock, seven days a week to keep Western Canada manufacturers going. Customized services to meet the needs, large and small clients, anything you need when it comes to steel, that water jet, router, forming, rolling, anything, pancaking, they can do it. Love our guys at High Tech Profiles. Story time. People, and I think I got the heels, or this was off the heels of off Brandon last episode about where... The, the songs come from and Fran Moran and the nervous Rex, the official band of the Monday nooner. We should really tell the story on the Monday nooner and how it started and where it came from. Cause people are still confused on. <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll download it on Monday. I'm like, Hey, it doesn't come out on Mondays at noon. I know it's that, weird. that probably would have been the logical thing to do is release yeah. the twirls on Mondays at noon. Marketing wise, that probably was the play. Like, <laughs> Hey, let's do a podcast and call it the Monday Nooner and never release it on Mondays. There Although I go. think this one might be a Monday, right? January 1st, 2024. Anyways, is, yeah. yeah. What it started, everybody was involved in COVID. If you weren't, uh, then you're you're like a one and a half. And we thought, well, let's just throw out a podcast based on our Monday noon skate. We used to have this Monday noon skate at the Brand Center here in Regina with Regina Pat, alumni, staff, and sponsors, and just regular hobos. 
So Brandon and I have the broadcast background. We're like, let's just do a podcast. And I remember to this day, your reaction wasn't warm at all. You're like, that could be one of the dumbest ideas I've heard. Yes. I can tell you exactly where I was sitting. And I think I was drinking whiskey because it was during COVID. And I said, well, base it around like the Monday noon skate. And I think I even got you more away from this from this operation. You were like, uh, and wow. I said, yeah. yeah, it's evolved you know, a lot. It was not at all senior hockey, like off the top. I mean, we talked about it early, but it wasn't ever the plan, right? Kind of came on organically. And obviously, fart guy there, Kindop, <laughs> he really got the ball rolling with the Twitter Pity account. Fart guy. Yeah, yeah. big Twitter Shot- account guy. Sean Kendoff was our uh, our third initially, and then the fart thing. He liked to tell fart stories. Um, <laughs> we got to have him back on. Now he's obviously the big with with big, big wig, Canadian. How much? How much more comfortable did you think he's gotten in front of a microphone over the last two years? <laughs> I would say uh, quite a bit. Yeah, he's matured for sure. He has. Old Kindro has grown up a ton, for sure. And- his life was getting busy. Things were getting busy. This thing was going in a different direction. We're like, well, where should we take it? We had Shane on as a guest. And I think it was like a, a last minute drunken text to be like, hey, do you want to come on this podcast we do? And then it's kind of like Bizonet with uh, Chicklets. He just came on and then he was like, minus the marketing brain. Sorry, Shane. Yeah, but, much, much smaller scale. <laughs> a poor man. Is this- poor man's. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, he just uh, kind of continued on. Kindop had his things going on, and we just continued the role. Then we went into a show every week, and then we got the senior hockey. Remember that first year senior hockey didn't buzz, but guys still right. wanted to talk about the possibility of senior hockey buzzing. And then it just kind of evolved, and guests came on, and people were bored, and it was awesome. And Sasky people, and Sasky people would reach out. You know who are the key guys? Who would you guys say the key guys have been for us? to get guests. Cause that's one question I always get is how do you guys get your guests? And I'm like, well, early on, you know, it was Kelly Taylor. Well, he, he's an old bud. So it was easy. Then Colby Armstrong came on, who is another old buddy. And then Colby really fed us. I would say five, six, seven great guests, but you know who the other guy that was kind of instrumental is Nick Schultz early. I forgot about Nikki. And the Schultz family, just absolute beauties from Strasburg. Nick Schultz came on. He was great. He he led us into Scott Hartnell. Hartnell led us into someone. It's just kind you know of snowballed. You know who was a sneaky uh, weapon that has helped us a few times? Darren Kimball. Lucky Lake. He gave us uh, Ed Belfour. I think yep. he might have given us Ronick. No, he Shane gave us, got us Ronick. I got Ronick. Okay. He is, remember, he we thought, remember, remember we thought Ronick was going to be so huge? We're like... We've hit the big time. JR. So so Kimbo got us Belfour, and then he got us today's guest as well, Big Jim McKenzie. So shout out Darren Kimbo. Lucky Lake doesn't remember his co-op. Co-op number. number. The beauty part about Kimbo that I love, it's Conquest with a K. (laughs) (laughs) He was going through every town that starts with a K in Saskatchewan, and he he was was a Conquest. (laughs) You know who, uh, as we look back on 2023, first world 2024, somebody, I did an interview actually, I was chatting with a sports show in Lloyd Minster. They were talking about uh, some senior hockey goings on. It was kind of fun, but we were talking about the pod and they were just kind of getting me to explain it. And I was talking about kind of who, we, who have you had, whatever. And I said, you know who our best guest in 2023 was for me? 
was Kelly McCrimmon, without a doubt. Vegas Golden Knights GM. I thought like that was one of the coolest interviews we've ever done. Just the way he talked about growing up on a farm in small town Saskatchewan, senior hockey player coach. That was uh that was a big one for us too, I think, old Kelly. Well, and, and getting Kelly, all choked the, up here now. Kelly's Kelly's <laughs> the not. guy that we could say shoot a message to and say, Hey Kelly, you know, do you mind uh and he'd be like, No, absolutely. You know who another actually great I, I got a story for you guys here. Uh, after we had Shannon Brisky on the senior show, 51 years old, scored a goal playing senior hockey with his son. I just thought for shits and giggles, I would uh, email Ron McLean and say, Hey Ron, I know you like dropping kind of little things like this. Here's a little tidbit for you. 51 year old Shane Brisky played, scored a goal with his son in the long Lake, the best senior league in the province, arguably. And, uh, I guess Allegedly. I wasn't watching sure as shit. He mentioned it on Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. No way. Cool. Yeah. Uh, who told me that today? Somebody told me that. And I messaged Brisky and Brisky's like, oh yeah, I've been getting a lot of legs from that. And then he's like, did you do it? And I was like, oh, I might've shot him a message, but I thought it was a real cool story that he would want to mention. Sure. Shit. Did he and work it into of, some sort of poem, some sort of haiku? Could he go back <laughs> and watch that? I don't know if he can go back and watch uh, old shows, but I wonder if, if you search it on Twitter, if somebody got a clip or something, but I thought maybe Ron would haiku it up. Like, little short poem like uh Gene Principe and Ron should do a show together yeah the puns and the says but no, yeah, nothing rhymes what... with Shat. nothing rhymes with brisky I was trying to think of something but I'm kind of stumped brisky he's getting frisky, frisky. Shannon brisky 51 year old Jilf <laughs> uh yeah so that's that uh, story time and that's the story behind the Monday Nooner so we kind of release it whenever we release the senior shows every every week during senior season and then it's sponsors right and we know we mention it and we always blah 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 but without these sponsors there's no podcast there is a lot of expense that comes into doing it uh product software all that jazz and all that and it takes a lot of time to do and to do properly so these sponsors and and i know a lot of guys have downloaded the play now app we're gonna get the play now in a bit thank you so much for that the beer deal i don't i hope someone's buying machinery from western sales i don't know but last mountain distillery like down the list right and sean steph and high tech um who else is with us from the get 2020 2020 malcolm, malcolm Synergy. quad truck guy hams hamsy synergy ag yeah uh hamsy yeah like and and gb construction al yeah. batters like absolute Weapons. just great saskatchewan people and companies and all that Arctic spa, Saskatoon and Regina, and then mainline, you know, they just support everything when it comes to minor hockey and, and the rural and they are rural. We just hope everyone's supporting these things because they're into 2024. And for some reason, this thing's still trucking along. Yeah. Right here. So much for the high and tight this week. Had a long interview coming up as well, but uh, let's jump into the last show recap. You mentioned Arctic spas, the aforementioned sponsor, of uh, last show, which would have been a tour with Ken Reed, the pride of Pictou County, uh, big J- Dana Johnson guy. I think, well, no, Dana Johnson used to be the golf pro in Battleford. Well, this is Dana. What the hell it, is that guy's it name? It was. It was Dana Johnson, and T- and that's why teapot, I thought it was funny. Right? Teapot. <laughs> that's that's why big I it was Battleford funny. golf guy. <laughs> big hockey yeah, card so that guy. Was big hockey card guy. Yeah, that was a fun uh, interview. Thanks to Ken Reed. I imagine a few of our listeners got the old. Uh, book under the tree this year i get a hockey book every christmas didn't get that one this year but i might have to uh might have to to check out his what did he call it hometown heroes yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Town of Heroes. I Shout got out a, I, I usually get like a Brady Brady. Those are the those are the hockey books that I get under the <laughs> under the tree. There's a joke for all the dads. Sam out there. loves them. Does he? Oh, I got a bunch. I should I should give you all the ones I have. Yeah, but uh, last show recap: Ken Reed was fantastic. Arctic Spa hot tub starting at nine thousand dollars. Never been a better year to own a hot tub. Not too cold, not too hot. It is perfect every night. They bring it in. They ship it. Everything controlled on your cell phone with the new Spa Boy. So go visit them in Saskatoon or Regina. Say the Monday Nooner Center. They're going to kick even more off the the cost of a tub, and they got a lot of stock in right now. So. Uh, coming up on this show, I'll get I'll let you guys get ready with the come up. Yeah, you mentioned it, the interview. It's a long one, but it's a good one. Jim McKenzie. This one kind of fell on your lap, right? Yeah, actually, it was Kimball. I was talking to Kimball. He was looking for a new lid or something. And I said, hey, you got any weapons? He said, oh, you've had Jim, Big Jim, right? Big McKenzie on. And I said, actually, we haven't had Big Jim, the ranch on. And uh, got him on. He was great. Won't get too much into it. Obviously, working for the Vegas Golden Knights, we'll talk about that in the interview. But he was kind of giving us the old, uh, it probably won't be very good, don't get too excited kind of thing, and then uh, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So, a lot of things we didn't even get to in his career. We kind of uh, were at that 90-minute mark, and and uh, yeah, Stanley Cup champion twice. He won it in 03 with the Devils, and then he just won it this year with uh, Vegas. And very cool insight. I know a lot of people are Vegas fans now. Very cool insight on the expansion draft and being on that scouting staff before Vegas's expansion draft and how all that went down. So really excited to get the pride of uh, Carlisle, Saskatchewan on the pod here coming up. And of course the come up is for general well servicing day group of companies. We talk about weapon sponsors. They're right at the top of the list in terms of uh, support and beauties out there. They're hiring in Southeast Saskatchewan into Southwestern Manitoba and even some operations down South of the uh, 49th parallel. So if you're looking for work, good paying job, general All servicing day group of companies is always hiring. Tell them the Monday nooner sent you and you'll get to the top of the uh, stack of resumes Fowler's got on his desk. And don't get fired like the other guy we sent. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's really change it up here. Going to throw you guys a curveball. Like doing that, and we're gonna go to take a seat, son, for the rusty shovel. It is landscape season because there's can no I, snow. Can I jump in here? Jump in, guy. Like I was jumping, guy. I'm actually texting him right now about some uh, overs that we took in college football. It's almost three nothing at the half. Terrible bet. But I said, uh, hey, gonna give you an extra plug here tonight. Send me your ad read, and I'll rip it off on the pod here. So this is just written by Stefan four minutes ago. Rusty Shovel has their winter booking program on now. If you need material for a project this spring, book now with a 50% deposit to beat the 2024 price increases, plus off-season savings. They've got overstock discontinued products that's up to 50% off right now on the program. Send Stefan a message and he'll get things rolling. Sean at therustyshovel.ca or message us and we'll get you in, uh, in contact. Always also blowing out a bunch of tools on our online store, it's save on landscaping season. Paving stones, retaining wall block, artificial turf sprinklers, water features, and lighting all on sale now. And then he said, exclamation point, exclamation point, three plus three equals seven in Detroit. We got an over. Uh, so anybody who bet Minnesota, Detroit, over six and a half. Congratulations. Uh, Stefan was on that one tonight on Play Now. Can you text him and ask if he sold the 2003 black Chevy Avalanche? You know what's funny? <laughs> is it sold? 
Danny Mello, Pilot Pete Saskatchewan guy, he's friends with Stefan. He yeah. sends him a random tweet and just all it says is Gene Burger guy. And uh, Sean hadn't listened to the podcast yet. And he's like, is there a reference behind this tweet? And Danny's like, oh, yeah, I haven't listened to the Nooner because I think it might have been myself. I said something about him slopping teen burgers in the old 03 avalanche. <laughs> so what does Stefan do? He takes the teen burger over to uh, the Avonhurst A&W and has one last uh, teen burger in it. I don't know if it's sold yet or not. It was available on Kijiji. But, uh, oh, that's amazing. Uh, good, Steph- good fun. Good Stefan always playing to the to the crew. All right. My first take a seat. I got three. Actually, I got two, but I want to give the Brandon hockey tournaments one more in a bit. My first one is no socks with dress pant guy. What kind of look are we after in 20 in the 2022-2023, whenever it started? For the love of Gord, can we please not can we get rid of this look the no socks with dress pant and then usually a pointed shoe probably sucking at an ipa guy take a seat take a seat son i think a lot of young hockey guys are doing that now hey it's big i think it's caught on with the bedsies and the the younger socks. weapons out there socks and birkenstocks are out no sock guy <laughs> i actually didn't know those were in style and i do that all the time it was not a style move it was strictly comfort but I don't. I don't think I have anything. So you can rip another one off if you like. You can take my. Uh... Give her. Give her shank. Take a seat, and this will tie into my shoutouts later in the show. Take a seat to critical blackjack guy. Guys playing blackjack, just having a night, and I understand there's a system to it. You don't hit that when this guy's showing this. When the dealer's hitting this, I get. Everybody gets that, or most people do. But no, the guy they that don't. I, the guy that I was around was he critical of every move that guys oh, really? were doing. And I was like, all right, you know what? Shinks out. I'm going to play some roulette. This is so yeah, take a seat, critical blackjack guy. I'm actually on critical blackjack guy's side to a point. Like if it's a 16 and sometimes you hit him, sometimes you don't, I'm okay with that 16 against a 10 or whatever. But if the dealer's got like a six and you've got like a 13 and you're hitting that. I'm getting up and I'm leaving the table. 100%. If you're hitting 16. No, if you're hitting a, if 13. the dealer has a break card, four, five, six, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I only have 14. I got to hit that. It's like, no, yeah. you don't. The dealer's Agreed. taking two cards. I'm Agreed. getting up and I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> especially if it's a bigger stake. Like, I mean, everyone's got a different definition of big stakes. If it's a five, $10 table. I'm not too worried, but if you're getting twenty five, fifty dollars a hand, and people are screwing around like that, I am out. <laughs> I, I the guy that I was around was way more critical on the basic break card thing. This guy was going over and above. So I get what you're saying. You know, I you know who I am. I'm an absolute blackjack idiot. I like playing the ten dollars. It's a nice table in Vegas. When this show releases, that's where I'm going to be, probably at a table. I like playing ten dollars all by myself. Because if the dealers hit got a break card or a 13 or something, and I'm holding two tens, I'm splitsville. Yeah. If you're playing yourself or if it's you and a buddy, hundred percent. But if you're at a oh, full yeah. table with with a buddy beside you's got like four hundred dollar hands and you're playing <laughs> ten bucks and you're screwing everything up, take a seat to you. Take a seat, son. <laughs> I think in that circumstance. Hey, when I lived in Saskatoon, Dakota Dunes, shot out Sega. Play now, guys. That's uh, all Sega operation out there. They used to do a blackjack tournament once a month. 
like it was a ten dollar buy and you just get a stack of chips and it's like you have a clock and whoever has the most chips at the end of the the time yeah. count won like five hundred bucks every month. Ten dollar buy in type thing. So that was fun because when you're under the under the gun in terms of like timing, like you're splitting everything, you're doubling everything. That's wild man's blackjack. But yeah. uh <laughs> Casino Regina is also a very judgy uh table people. Yeah. And it's always the same people. Maybe they say that about me. Yeah, I actually don't go there much, but when I do, I'm like, you it's always the same people, right? And uh I, a little stuff for sure. That's why I don't play poker there anymore. Cause you walk in, I've said this on the podcast before you walk into the poker room and you want to sit down and play poker. And then they look at you all weird because you're not one of them and you're not there all the time in your sweatpants and pajama pants and big baggy <laughs> wolf sweaters. Like it's uh yeah. They didn't make you feel like you're, like you're an outsider. That's the nice thing about play now. You can wear whatever you want. You don't have to wear anything. If you don't want sit on the couch play a little blackjack, play a little poker, the slots. I had a nice little run on the slots, honestly. Uh, play now sports book. Shout out to uh, a listener of ours. I don't know if he wants his name mentioned or not, but I'm going to throw it out there. Wicked Deadly. Wicked Deadly guy. He yep. turned his free 50 into two grand. Nah. In the casino. Wow. Like some monster jackpots on the uh, slots on play now. Obviously not everybody's going to do that. Use your game sense. Don't play till you win two grand because that's yeah, not a great strategy. For sure. Set your limits. But nice thing about not having to drive to the casino, you can sit at home, have some cocktails, play sports, casino, whatever, right from uh, your phone or your computer, your iPad or whatever. So play now, Saskatchewan, $50 uh, or $10 minimum buy-in gets you 50 casino, 50 sports book. Fellas, I've been having a run on the World Juniors. It's been really, really profitable over here on World Juniors. Not so much on college football, but I've been almost winning every world junior bet. And I was even smart enough to avoid Canada, Sweden today as we record this. I said, you know what? This feels like a trap game. I'm going to sit this one out. But I went uh, three for three for three on the other three. So, you nice. know, you know what they have tomorrow? Uh, this is going to be too late by the time it comes out, but they got Spengler Cup betting tomorrow. And I'm a big Spengler Cup fan. Going to bet on that. The national semifinals, I am going to play yes. uh, before I leave the country. I'm going to play a couple of units on that and then obviously hammer it there in the book. Who do you got? Because I think Michigan's a one and a half point favorite at Alabama. I'm taking and... Michigan, Michigan money line for, for four units down there. I think I'm going Bama. I don't think Michigan's get it done team. I really don't. And then, and then uh, Texas is a pretty big favorite against Washington. Like I can't remember the line. Is it seven, five? I'm going to th- take Washington there to cover. The dog might even might even sprinkle a bit money line. Washington. Big I'm taking national. that. I'm taking what I call the hungry dog parlay. Alabama, Washington money lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see here. What's the odds here? There's like six bowl games every day too. If you like to watch football, while you while you look that Michigan up, one and a know. half, Texas four and a half. Oh yeah, favorite. Play now, line. money line, Washington. Yeah, the code is Nooner. Like Brando said, you get ten bucks in and you get a fifty free at the casino, and you get fifty free at the sports book. Support the Nooner. Support local. Everything stays in Saskatchewan here. Like Shane said, must be 19 years of age or older and use your game sense. Let's yeah, Jim McKenzie it up. For 
Great Western Brewing, an original 16 brewed right here in Saskatchewan. Get in on the beer deal. Still lots of time. Get into the beer deal all year long if you want. Get a kickback for your team or you or your wedding or your block party or your cabaret. Good time right there to get some tickets. Great Western, we'll get you in touch with who you need and support local. If you haven't tried the GW Classic, the gold can, and you like a good beer, I'm telling you right now, I got like three, four guys on that. This is dad's the hockey, the hockey front this year. It is so good. A little GW classic. Brandon got this guy. He's from Carlisle, Saskatchewan. Great NHL career. Stanley Cup winner. Here is Jim McKenzie. Joining us on this episode, 880 games in the National Hockey League. He won a cup as a player and most recently a Stanley Cup champion with the Vegas Golden Knights. Jim McKenzie. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I want to I want to start there with uh, we're going to go back to the good old days, Gall Lake where you were born and Carlisle where you grew up and and everywhere in between, but I want to start with Vegas and uh obviously winning the Stanley Cup last season. Tell everybody what do you you scout with Vegas? Yes. Yeah, got uh been with them since the start. Uh Accidental scout was with Florida before that. And before that I coached in a junior league in the U S called the USHL and uh, really enjoyed it. Great league, enjoyed the coaching. And, and uh, when I finished there, I was, I did a bunch of interviews for, uh, I wanted to do pro. I want Amer- NHL, American league, anything like that, assistant, whatever, and didn't catch on right away. And uh, one of my former teammates in uh, New Jersey, John Madden was scouting in uh, Florida and he called, he said, you know what, we got an opening. He says, just do this while you're still looking for a job. It keeps you in the game. And it's just a different way of looking at the game. I never thought of it. It's like, all right. So jumped in there and I started scouting and, and never left uh, and really, really enjoyed it. It's just a, and he was right. It's, you know, as a coach, you got your 20 guys, you're trying to make them better. You're trying to develop them. If they're young, you're trying to win, you're all doing all those things scouting's way different you're looking at your team going okay how do we make him better you know this guy's not very good but it's because he's young he's going to get better this guy's kind of old he's starting to age when do we got to replace him but he's a big part of the room like it's all these little pieces to a to a puzzle um when you're scouting and uh it's been it's been incredible it's been a lot of fun and to do it with vegas to do it as fast as we did to go through expansion which is incredible um just like we joked that you know we started in uh september without a team you know we went the whole year we scouted all year long and once a month went into vegas and pretended to pick our team and so over and over you watched your teams over and over you you, you thought you knew which guy you're going to pick and when you got to it and the gm's looking at you and george mcphee and, and kelly mccrimmon are okay who's the guy I'll tell you what it's like man i've seen that guy a thousand times can i go back one more you're nervous because it's a big deal right? yeah you seem to be successful we didn't sit there going, oh yeah, we're going to go to the Stanley Cup our first year or anything like that. But you want to be, you want to be competitive. The 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 city had bought into us. The city had bought tickets. They're they're a big. They're excited to have their first professional team. We're not a team coming from somewhere else that nobody wanted or anything like that. We're we're an actual expansion team that uh, the owner believes in. So it was a big deal for us. Uh, so to have that success, but to go through that whole process of picking a team was pretty cool. <clears throat> is there is there one guy through that whole whole process, Jim? That that you can hang your hat on that you kind of watched and you feel that, you know, you, you had, uh, you had this guy in your stable and, and, and you said, we got, we got to go with this guy. Well, we all have areas. I, I live in Nashville. I'm in the Midwest. And so the teams that are, you know, that I was watching at the time were Columbus, Detroit, uh, at Winnipeg, I believe at the time, Chicago, uh, uh, St. Louis, Nashville, obviously Dallas, 
So you watch those teams more than anyone. You put your list together early, and then we would move. I'd go out to the east and look at the New York teams and go to the west and look at the L.A. and, and Anaheim, and the guys from those areas would come in. So you didn't just – it wasn't just one guy's word. Everybody got to see, uh, but you got a lot of influence on it. I had a lot of influence on who we took from Florida, for example, because I was there for four or five years before uh, I was with uh, with Vegas. But – you, you put your guys up front and say, here's here's who I'm looking at and why. And then the other guys would go look, and and it was just like a consensus pick. It was so much easier than just, like I said, it, there was still pressure there, but the pressure wasn't as correct. wouldn't be, <laughs> be a lot worse if you were just the one guy that's seen them the whole time and this guy shows up with his hockey bag in, in September to play. But, um, yeah, mostly the Midwest guys would be the the, the ones from that had the greatest influence. Did you know much about Marsh, Marsh so when, you know, since he's kind of had a little Florida tie? Yes, uh, I'd been watching him. So he was, uh, I want to say he was with Hartford in the, in the American Hockey League, then Springfield in the American Hockey League, uh, and then finally with uh, Syracuse. And he was up and down. He got games with uh, Tampa. And I'd written a bunch of reports in Florida on why they should sign this guy and how he had off NHL ability. And part of it, honestly, is it wasn't great scouting. It was pure luck was if you remember way back, uh, Tampa had taken Jonathan Drouin with, the, with, I believe, the third pick overall. And that year, he ha- he was in the NHL. He couldn't play in the American League, and they didn't want to send him back to junior. Well, they sent him down a couple times for conditioning, which is the only way to get him to the American League for a brief period. Syracuse is one of my teams, and I was there to watch Syracuse. I didn't know he was coming. Nobody did. And they sent him down for conditioning. And he was, I mean, he was good, really good. But the other guy that was really good was Marcia. So he became a better player when Duran was on the ice and they played together, the two best players in the games I watched. And that's what influenced my games the most. So it was kind of some blind luck where, uh, where that happened. I'm sure you've been asked this question quite a few times and it's kind of a cliche question, but you want a cup as a player, you want a cup as a executive, as a scout, uh, how do you compare the two? Like, obviously it's, it's much different, but what was it like winning a cup? On this side of it, uh, on this side, so different because as a player, uh, you know whether you score a goal, block a shot, make a save, do anything positive on the ice, do anything positive on the bench in the locker room, in practice the day before, or after a game, you have this huge influence. The coach would be the next guy next to the players would have that same influence. On our side, we start you know through the course of the year looking at our team, how do we make them better? And then July one, if you have any money, which normally we don't, we're at the cap, but. Uh, if you have money, how do we make our team better right through free agency? You watch your team like we are now up to the trade deadline. Okay, what what do we need? Where, where are our holes? How do we make our team better? Once that trade deadline hits, other than maybe pre-scouting a series, if if the coaches want that, most of them, you know, they, they'll do, they'll take your information. I think most of them do their own pre-scouting on video, but you're just a fan. Like you're, you've had your influence once the deadline ends, you got no like we don't interact with, we rarely interact with the players. Uh, you know, you're not making any more trades. You you can't go down and give them a, a pep talk. You can't go out and do it. So from this side, it's, you're, you're really a fan and it's, it's, you're sitting there watching to see, okay, did the moves we make and the, the guys we believe in, does it, does it work? <laughs> Is it going to work? And uh, I hope it does. Were you, uh, did you get to go to the parade and all that stuff? Yes, they brought us in for actually game five. Uh, when we won uh, game four to go up 3-1 in Florida that night, uh, the team sent out emails to, to everybody and uh, said, come on in, bring your bring your wife, and uh, you're going to game five. So we were all there watching game five. Uh, we got down. We were actually on the ice afterwards for, for that part of the celebration. Uh, 
and uh, we stayed for the next few days for that for the parade, which was incredible. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask, like, how how wild was that one in Vegas? Holy! It the whole thing was incredible. They brought us the you know the the back way onto the strip in these double decker buses, and I think the most incredible, the two most incredible things are when you coming around there. It's the back end of all the restaurants and the and the hotels. It was packed with all the people that worked there. Like they was absolutely full. Awesome. Of, of all the employees was incredible. And then when you came out onto the onto the main strip, that was it was packed on the strip on the side we're going down. It was full right the whole sidewalk. You couldn't see anything. And it was I don't know how many people deep on the other side, which we weren't on. And everyone there, like this wasn't people that came out of the hotels. This is they're all wearing their Vegas stuff. Like it was these were it was incredible. And I, I think he estimated four to five hundred thousand people. And uh, yeah, it was amazing just to just to see the people that came out uh, for that was was pretty awesome. Obviously, we got lots to get to with uh, your career and growing up and stuff. But one more about uh, the cup. You took it back to Estevan. You mentioned your family lives there. I assume that's that's why you went there. And I think you took it to Willie's Tap House, right? Yeah. So the uh, yeah, when I was uh, fortunate enough to win twenty years ago. Um, I did everything I could with it and I, I was able to take it to Carlisle where I played most of my minor hockey, uh, took it down there. We set it up, uh, on main, on the main drag on uh, main street and, uh, people could get a picture with it. I think they donated a couple dollars to, uh, to minor hockey or something. And we had it from noon to almost dinner time. Uh, the line was incredible. It hadn't been back back then. It hadn't been back in Saskatchewan for several years. So people came from a long ways away to, to do that. And then, uh, yeah, took it to uh, took it back to Estevan and and had some fun with it before it went on its way. I think it went up to uh, Battleford after it was me with me rather. Um, this time was just happy to get it to be honest and uh, picked it up in Regina. <clears throat> and uh, my boss uh, Von Carpen, uh, he's from the Paw, and he had set up the whole thing uh, because we did it this year. We did it in. Uh, in October, uh, you know, we stayed out of the way of the players. It was just a crazy summer for them and, and everything else. But, uh, yeah, I was able to get it for part of a day again and, uh, and did it again. And yeah, it was just hanging out with it, having pictures with my family and, and, uh, some friends and that kind of thing for a few hours was, what's was awesome. It's just, we, I still laugh. It's, it's such a great, you know, it's just, it's, it just draws people. It's incredible. It doesn't matter if people know hockey or not, but the first time I had it and we took it into the Willie's tap house was, it was late afternoon. And, uh, at the time I'm with the guy that's working for the hall of fame that, you know, he chaperones the cop, great guy. And we walk in, there's a table of, of girls, you know, they're in their twenties or whatever. And the one looks up and sees it. She goes, Oh my goodness, it's the great cup. <laughs> and, and my, my buddy, that's a hall of fame guy goes, that's it. We're out of here. This thing's never coming back to Estevan. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? Oh, you're right in the middle of rider country down there though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, it, and it is amazing. Anywhere you take it, people want to touch it. People want to, and we did it again this year. We took it down to to the tap house and uh, there are a bunch of, you know, we, you know, the, the Sarah Gallas have the, they have the tap house, they have the cafe, they have a restaurant. So it's a bunch of businesses. So we're kind of more in the middle because it, uh, uh, there were, there were kids there. There were just all kinds of people. And, and uh, we stood there for, I don't know how many hours and they just took a picture with it. And, and it was awesome. That's amazing. So you mentioned earlier, uh, you played your minor hockey in Carlisle. That's where you, you say you grew up. If you look up, it does say online, you were born in, in Gall Lake and you mentioned your dad was in the RCMP. I can't remember if that was before we were, we were recording or not, but, uh, 
Yeah, tell us about your up- upbringing. How long did you live in Gall Lake before you went to Carlisle? I think I was probably five or six. And uh, so with the, I don't know if they still do, but the RCMP, it used to be that uh, you're about five years wherever you were stationed and then they moved you. And uh, and that, that it was the best they could because at times you couldn't sell your, you know, I know in Carlisle we were transferred a couple of times. I think we're supposed to go to Meadow Lake maybe and somewhere else and you can't sell your house and they can't make you go kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, about five or six years old, moved to Carlisle. Um, I was 14. I moved to Moose Jaw the same year. My, my parents moved to uh, Estevan. My dad got transferred there and I moved to Moose Jaw. I played a couple of years of, of midget hockey, Moose Jaw, and, and uh, a couple of years of junior. My last year junior was out in Victoria with the, the Cougars when they were still there. And then, uh, yeah, onto the, on pro hockey. <laughs> You, you hire the worst realtor possible when you have to move from Carlisle to Meadow Lake. Do not sell this house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? And we got lucky because we got transferred there and, and uh, we couldn't sell the house and, and they, they canceled the, the transfer. So <laughs> just a uh, blessing there, huh? You might have even been tougher. You might have even been tougher if you grew up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, when you when you go back to to minor, and we ask all the guys that we we have on Jim, and you know you look at those early years, you know the Adams, the Pee Wees, and whatnot. Most of that's in Carlisle. Do you remember, you know, the guys you played with, and and you go back and and your line mates, and maybe maybe there maybe there were some teams that you guys went deep in provincials, joining up with other towns. Do you remember those kind of years? I, you know what I do. I remember playing. I just I love to play. I, I still do when I can get out. I, I still get out and try to play. And uh, it, the game's always been fun. So you look forward to every weekend where it was a, a different tournament. You know where you're going to wherever you're going to the. The, the more fun was probably going outside um, when I was in uh, Pee Wee and Bantam. My dad would put together, like you said, an area team, but it wasn't for provincials because they wouldn't let you do – you couldn't have too many of those towns. So they put you up and you have to play against teams you couldn't play against big cities. But he put our team together and uh, we'd play. And the first year we went and played in Weyburn um, in the house league, and we won that thing without even trying. Like it was with the local kids – uh, the White Bear Indian Reserve was is like five seven miles away from Carlisle. Some great players, uh, Manor, you know these different places, and uh, uh, we won that. And then the next time we went back, we played in their travel league, and we won that. And they didn't like it. It was it was we beat the the hometown team in the in the in the final and uh, is Bantams. And actually, the next year, uh, one of the guys on that team was a guy named Jerome Richard, and uh, Jerome and I played midget and junior together the next few years. And uh, I think he's down in Macon, Georgia. To be, uh, he's been down there forever. I think he's the mayor. He might as well be. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just funny how the different guys. Uh, you know, we we one of the tournaments we played a travel team from Estevan had uh, Danny McCursey on it, who was, he could fly a cannon for a shot. While we ended up being midget and junior. Uh, Dean Dean Koontz was a goaltender. We played together later. Like it was funny to see the different guys, as you say. Like you're playing these little house league, travel league, depending on your town. And uh, a little further on, you're playing or with or against them in midget or junior hockey. So were you the were you the sniper? Were you the goal scorer? No, I did. Yeah, actually, I was actually a defenseman. And uh, yeah, back then you just played, and uh, I could get up and down the ice. I was bigger, longer than than most of the kids. I was tall at an early age, and uh, yeah, scored goals and and played, and never thought of the other stuff uh, till junior hockey and <laughs> certainly pro. I was going to ask you when, like, do you remember your first hockey fight? Like the, not in the NHL, but your first fight. One of my first fights was in midget. 
and uh, it was less punching and more grappling because you didn't I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but that was in midget hockey when you're wearing a full cage. And then I remember, you know, as you get into midget a little longer and certainly into junior, it was something you practiced as much as you practiced your whatever skating or shooting or whatever you worked on how you fought, like how you held on or your balance and, and guys would, uh, you know, pretend fight after practice to, uh, so they knew what they were doing if, if they ever had to do it, um, that kind of thing. So, um, you just kind of get into it and, um, good or bad, I guess that if you do well, they want you to go out and do it again. And, and, uh, that was a line my dad, uh, I fought, uh, when I was in one of my first years pro and, and got called up, I fought, uh, Todd Ewan who was with Montreal and, and, uh, did well in the fight and talked to my dad after and, and, uh, said, well, that's, you know, almost, he didn't say it's too bad, but he, that's too bad. <laughs> I go, what do you mean? Like, I, I did good. He goes, well, you don't think they're going to want you to do it again? And I'm so dumb and naive. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? I mean, it just happened. You know, I didn't, you know, I just, it, it, and he said, okay. You know, he, he saw the, he saw the long game way better than I did already at the time. So. Uh, what, what was, uh, what was mom and dad like, you know, when you're, when you're growing up, what kind of parents were they? Uh, awesome. Uh, you know, I've always half joked, but not, I said, I've always wanted to be my dad. Like he just, you know, they're, uh, it's just been great people. They give you great, uh, you know, I remember when I moved away, uh, to play midget and, uh, get a phone call, uh, you know, some of the road trips, you play games during the week. So you get back a little late, be a little late to school sometimes. And I get the call from my mom back then. There's no cell phones or computer, anything like that. So, you know, usually I would call, you know, when it worked my schedule and talk to them once a week or whatever, but I got a call from them. I'm worried something's wrong there. And it's my mom. And she's like, Hey, just got your report card and said, okay, she goes, if I get another one like this, you're coming home. I don't care if you play hockey or not. And she, oh. and that was that. <laughs> so my grades went back up after that and uh, no more sleeping in or missing the early classes or anything like that. But that's, they were awesome. It was like, you know what, you, you play hockey for you. You don't, you know, that's, you know, and back then in midget, it caught, you know, I mean, to move away still costs money. It wasn't cheap. So they're, they're sacrificing my brother and sister, everybody's, you know, for me to, me to mm -hmm. do that and uh but yeah they were they were always great what was the what was the whl like in the mid 80s what are your memories about Shaw and the western league in the mid 80s well i remember uh not because of us our team specifically but uh the western league at one point had to go where teams off uh warmed up by themselves one team warmed up <laughs> than the other because there was too many brawls. Yeah. I remember as a midget player going to watch the junior team and, and uh, <clears throat> the junior team didn't have a heavyweight. Uh, they were a really young team. Their toughest guy would probably be Mike Keen and, and Kelly Buckberger. And they're both about 16, 17 years old. They weren't 20 year olds. And they played Prince Albert uh, in Moose Jaw, the crush can. And they came out for warm up and uh, Ken Baumgartner. Uh, had taken their net and was warming up their backup goalie on their side with the net and nobody <laughs> would go get it. They could wait for the <laughs> linesman or refs to come out and take the net back. Uh, stuff like that, you know, that, uh, so it was a pretty tough league. They went to the, where they tried for a while where, you know, cause guys would skate over the red line and then, mm -hmm. you know, you'd end up, something would happen. Either somebody would shoot pucks at the guy coming across or whatever. Like it just it was one up. It was, it was really about one upping the other guy, the other team. And uh, nobody knew where to stop or was willing. And so uh, for a while there, yeah, you had to, I, I missed out on the Cooperalls. Didn't, I didn't wear the Cooperalls, <laughs> but uh, I was part of the uh, warming up 
which was terrible, like to sit for an extra 15 minutes or something while the other team warmed up. I was just going to ask, when did the NHL come on your radar? I, I didn't figure out the math, but it looks like you were maybe drafted a little bit later into your yep. WHL career. When was yep. when was the NHL and pro hockey on your radar? Well, I think it's always on there. As a kid, you're growing up watching the NHL. You're, you're influenced by the players. Um, you know, as you get older, you get playing with guys that um, start or drafted. They go to NHL camps. They come back. It's a big deal to play with or against guys that, that have had that experience already. So it's always on your radar. You just don't know when it's going to happen. I, don't, I have a late birthday. So my first year, I couldn't be drafted. Uh, you know, as a 16 or 17-year-old, my next year, I wasn't good enough. And uh, so, yeah, I was drafted as I played my last year in Victoria. I was drafted as a, a 19 year old and uh, with Victoria <clears throat> and I always joke. I mean, somebody should have got fired uh, that year. Um, Hartford picked, they were one pick after one pick before Detroit. And uh, I think Detroit took Mike Sillinger in the first Bob Bugner in the second. Nicholas Lindstrom in the third. Uh, yeah. Lindstrom. And then one pick after me was Fedorov. <laughs> so they had a pretty good run that uh, <laughs> that Hartford didn't have, but uh, all that was cool uh, to get drafted. Uh, I went to the draft. It was in Minneapolis. Uh, my agent at the time out of Calgary was uh, Art Breeze. He had a whole bunch of guys, and he was just honest. He goes, like, in back then, there was a ton of – I want to say there was 12 rounds or 13. It was something crazy. So I don't know if, if one or all of you are going to get drafted, but it's a great experience. Just go. You know, I'll set up some interviews and interview with some teams and then we'll see what happens. So I was actually sitting beside Reed Simpson, who I'd fought numerous times in the Western League. He played with Prince Albert and Simmer and I sat beside each other and uh, he went to Philadelphia and I went one pick later to Hartford. We drafted one after each other. So that was that was pretty cool. Just to get drafted here, your name was awesome. But the experience, all of that was was pretty cool. I think you and Shane got something in common. He never played or got drafted. He played in the American League, but I think Art was his agent. Art oh, Breeze, right. yeah, there yeah, he was my agent. Yeah, yeah. Real, he, he was a man of fitness, I'll say. Yeah, yeah. he was a man of fitness. <laughs> <laughs> so that year, though, you go to Victoria, you had 15 goals, 27 assists, 42 points. You you obviously popped off a little bit uh, offensively. What what changed that year in your game? Did you have some good line mates, or, or you obviously more touched that the, year? I scared the shit actually, out of people. No, well, you know what? I probably got space that way, but I was actually a defenseman. I wasn't even a forward yet. Uh, they had moved me. I didn't do that move up till my second or third year of uh, pro hockey. Um, but when I I played through midget, uh, you know, I was I think I was you know I played as you play three years of midget, but I played the, just the two. I was one of the leading scorers as a defenseman in midget. It wasn't until you know I played like I said I played played that first year in junior where. Uh, the coach wanted me to play a certain way. So he moved me up to forward and stood me on the bench and I had games where I'd be lucky to get a shift. You know, he'd throw me out there to fight somebody. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about the role or how to do it. So the second year got a little better because I got a different coach and uh, he let me play hockey. And then that year, uh, I believe the coach's name was Wayne Naka. Was, he was great. He was all about playing hockey and, you know, playing hard though. I mean, like I said, I don't, I didn't have a lot of penalty minutes, but whoever the tough guys were, I fought Jeff Rogers that year. I fought Simmer that year. Uh, Steve Jakes was a tough kid from Tri-City. I believe he was playing with uh, – He fought him a couple times. Todd's brother, Dean, was playing in <laughs> Seattle. So I didn't fight a lot, but I fought the guys that you you should fight, uh, you know, if you're supposed to be tough or whatever. You know, you know it's one. you know it's a tough league when you say I didn't have many penalty minutes and you had 176. <laughs> <laughs> you had to fight Audrey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
for sure. But when <laughs> no. we, you talk about now that you're you're scouting and you coached you coached in the USHL and you talk about making the transition from def- defense to forward and you see it the other way a lot of times too when kids get a little bit older they go forward to defense is as a scout and you know how valuable is that to to scout a player that you know that he can put, be versatile on both ends of the ice and which way do you think would be maybe a little tougher uh well i think the tougher is definitely going from forward to defense you're the last line of of defense for your goalie so if you're out of position like that's an odd man even if you're got other partners there you're it's at least a two-on-one like you know what i mean so i think it's much harder to go back uh from from there the hard part of going up is it like i always joke you, you you're like as a forward the first while you feel like you're Odie from the garfield conference yes. it's like you're <laughs> running around with your tongue out trying to run into somebody and get a puck like you, there's not a lot of thinking at first when you don't know what you're doing you're just moving them and you come off the ice you're exhausted and you're thinking i didn't do anything like yes. why am i so tired <laughs> right but if you're up front your feet got to be moving you got to be forechecking you'll be attacking if you have the however that goes a defenseman you know so as a forward if you're moving 40 45 seconds like that's a long shift unless you have you know super ability to to conserve energy or something but as a defenseman you can be out there double that time right you know because you're not moving as much but when you do have the puck you better make the right decision as a defenseman or it's a turnover and it could be in the back of your net really really fast well ask this question about nhl as well but who is the toughest who's the toughest guy you fought in junior was there anybody you were scared of or the kind of the league heavyweight back then you know what? Um, I don't know. It was not wasn't necessarily like a guy you were you scared of, but there were lots of tough guys. I remember my first year, I think it was my first year at the and only because of his reputation. And and we only played him once, I think. But Link Gates was out in uh, way out uh I can't remember where he was, like New West or somewhere like that. And we played him the one I'm just waiting for him to do something crazy because that was his reputation. And he and he he really didn't do anything. Um Tony Twist, uh Darren Kimball. You know, you mentioned Odge. Uh, I mean, there was there was no shortage anywhere Simmer. There was no shortage Kelly Chase. Like there is no shortage of tough guys. <laughs> Just you know, killers. I always joke. I, I, I good friend, like good friends with uh, especially Chaser. But uh, and he has these different uh, uh, hockey tournaments that he invites us to or whatever. But I always say, like it, it, you know, the Saskatoon Blades. They were a work release juvenile work release <laughs> program. They weren't even a junior team. You know, the, safest, the Saskatoon streets were over the three hours that those guys were playing hockey. You had Twister and Chase and and Kevin Kaminsky and all these guys on one team. Um, you know, so looking the kosher back, boys. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it was just just one after. And then there was, you know, you guys would, but I always tell guys, I mean, there's probably five other guys I could name you wouldn't know that were tougher than the five guys on your team wherever you came. Yeah. I would have been 10 years old going to watch you guys in the old Saskatoon arena. So I totally remember remember those days. Uh not to bring not to bring this thing down, but you know, we we've had guys on from that era and that played that year on both sides of the ice and Doug Sauter coaching. Uh, were you were you in the game, uh, the unfortunate incident with Brad Horning? I was playing in that game, yes. Yeah. What do you, what do you remember about it? I remember it being, I mean, basically a routine hit, not a hit, not in the sense of, you know, one guy's got the puck and you collide or whatever, but it was around the net and uh, he just got a quick shove from behind, but he wasn't, it wasn't, as I recall, up against the boards and near the boards, it was out where he was finishing a play near the net and his speed and momentum carried him into the boards and he, you know, he fell. And then you're sitting there going, all right, is he hurt? Is he trying to draw a penalty? Back then guys didn't 
play that he didn't play that way either. So he's got to be something, you know, must have shook him up pretty good. Then the trainer's out. Then it gets crazy, right? Serious. And there's doctors and there's, there's all that. So just between that, you know, stuff that just like, holy cow and, and the swift current bus crash. That, that's the other thing I was going to ask you. Like, those are those are things probably mentally tough to bounce back from. You know, we've interviewed guys that were on the bus, guys that were on the ice when it happened to Brad. But even though you're on the other teams, um, you know, tough to bounce back from mentally at a, at a young age for a lot of guys, I'm sure. Well, and, and later that year, we were coming back from Brandon. Our bus went off the road. It never tipped over. It, it slid down, amazingly enough. Um a couple of guys, depending on where you were sleeping or laying or sitting at the time, you know, they get their heads thrown up against the top or the off the window or whatever. They're shook up a little bit, but obviously nothing like what would happen in Swift Current. But the first, you know, when Swift Current happens, you're like, you just, holy cow, like how many roads have we been on, on buses? And then when you go through it, go like, like, how does that happen that their bus tipped over and our didn't, you know, like you just, you can't even, can't even reason it in your own, your own head more on the more on the fun side so we talked about you signing and you go through the draft and all that we love hearing this from guys so when when did you get your signing bonus what did you sign for and, and what did you blow it on so and the i could tell you a hundred of these stories of how dumb i was but uh <laughs> back then you went to camp you didn't have a con i was drafted in the fourth round it's like 70 early 70s so it'd be like a third round pick or something now but you didn't have a contract. You went and earned your contract. You know, there was, like I said, I think there was 12 or 13 rounds. So there was a ton of guys at camp and uh, you get through camp. It's my first time. I have no idea what's going on. I probably was no good. And then from there you play the rookie games and the rookie games back then were just a war because you had guys literally fighting for a contract for a spot on that, either a contract to take back to junior, which was normal as a 20 year old back then. Um, or a spot on the American League team. And uh, so the first night we played Montreal's farm team um, in Hartford, they took us to uh, Lake Placid for for camp. And so we fight there, we play their, te- their team, and they had, you know, whoever they had dressed, and we say 10, 15 fights. And we won most of the fights. <clears throat> and uh, as I recall, my, my teammate Corey Bolio was there, Scotty Daniels, a um, couple other guys, like we had some tough, tough guys that were young that we didn't, we didn't know we were tough and we handed it to them pretty good. And afterwards, uh, Lyle Odeline was with, with their team. He'd been drafted by Montreal and Odie and I have been junior mates in, uh, in Moose John. He said, Hey, just as a heads up, our coaches, our manager, they're, they're fired up. You guys just handed it to us. He goes, they're dressing guys that were like American League guys last year because we had to go bus up there and play them in the next day or two. And I'm saying, all right, whatever. So we get on the bus, we go up there. And back then, I mean, there's no internet, there's no phone. You don't know who you're playing against. There's no names in the back of jerseys. There's no stat sheets. There's nothing. You're just, there's nothing. All you had was the USA Today. Yeah, which was nothing for hockey, right? Nothing. And uh, I just remember Odie saying, like, we're dreading. And so I kind of do three hear the, you know, they've got, you know, they've got some really tough guys from the American League. And so we look out and we're out in the warm up. And there's this guy's got to be 6'6". He's got a full beard. He looks like he's 240. Like, you know, I was a big guy for my first year. I was like six, three, 200. And I'm looking, I'm going, oh man, that's, that's gotta be the guy. Right. So we get into the game and I look over and, and the guy's, he's a defenseman. He's lined up and he's looking right at me. And I'm like, oh, don't make eye contact too late. <laughs> well, while I'm doing that, the guy I'm lined up besides leaning on me, he's kind of pushing at me, leaning on me, pushing on me and then whatever. And 
And I give him a pushback and he's like, you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather fight you than that guy. <laughs> so we dropped the gloves and, and, uh, have a pretty good fight. Um, I did really well. And I find out afterwards that was their tough guy, not the guy, <laughs> the guy with a beard, uh, actually give it to their tough guy from the American league. And the next day I got a call and, and, uh, they signed me to a contract. I think I want to say I got 25,000 and I got a 10,000 bonus. Um, was what I got. And the, the best thing that Art did, which was so smart, he set it up where I got paid over the course of a year. I didn't get paid. So that summer I go home and every two weeks there's a check for, it wasn't for much obviously, but a check shows up. I mean, I'm working out, I'm getting ready for the next year for pro. And every two weeks, my dad's going through the mail going, you got to be kidding me. Like they're paying you not to play. Like, how does this work? <laughs> he'd, he'd be half fired up. <laughs> so, well, you know, that's how they do it, I guess. I don't know. Boz, I just want to say, I signed 10 years later and art got me a bigger signing bonus than Jim, Jimmy Mack got. Just want that on record. (laughs) Not much more of a little. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, that 20 year old year, you play five games in the NHL. How does that come about? Is it mid year? Is it at the start of the year, tail end of the year? How did you get those uh, first NHL games with Hartford? No, it was right at the end. Uh, it was the last five games of the year. We had a horrible year in the American League, um, in part because we had young guys. Blair Atchinham, James Black, uh, as I said, Bolio was there. Trying to think of all the – we were all first-year players. We were all rookies. And there was there was close to 10 of us uh, that they had brought in, Hartford had. And our veteran guys, uh, Al Tour, who's still in the business, uh, Dallas Gom was there. who's was a longtime pro. Uh, but we weren't very good. We lost – when we were out by Christmas, we were out of it. But we laughed because uh, at the time we had Mark LaForge, Jimmy Thompson, Chris Shahaki. Uh, we've had some really, really tough guys. And like I said, as a young guy, and Bo and, and uh, Raymond Somier was this French kid who was tough. He was my roommate. But we didn't know we were tough. Al Tour knew he was tough. And, and Jimmy and Mark LaForge, we not only set a record for losses, we set a record for one-goal losses because teams wouldn't run it up on us because of <laughs> the guys we had especially the older guys. And because back then you get, they start running the score up. You just go crazy, right? You just do, do whatever crazy guys do or, or guys did back in that time. So uh, it was the last five games of the year where uh, we'd been out of it since probably Christmas. And yeah, I got called up for five games, got to play um, and stayed as, as uh, you know, a black ace for the first round of the playoffs when they played uh, Boston, which was pretty incredible as well. You know, you play those years in Hartford, and then you go to Dallas, then to Pittsburgh. This this might be a little bit off off the radar here, but that ninety four ninety five season, I think that was the strike year, if I'm uh, if I'm correct. What when that strike year? Like, did you stick around? Was there any chance of you playing senior hockey? Because we talked to so many guys, like Sean Van Allen and all that. They came back and and played some senior. What did you do in that strike year? Yeah, the the so I was in Pittsburgh at the time, and we had a group that every day we we went and skated, we practiced, we you know, the the difference between that strike year and the full strike year is that year they brought us in for training camp. Uh, they might have even done exhibition games. Then there was no, it wasn't a strike; it was a lockout. Then they locked us out. We said, "All right, here's what we want." And at the time, you know, I I mean, you just I didn't I I was married. I had. Uh, one young child at the time. <clears throat> and uh, so we didn't, we stayed right there. We had rented a place 
and you know, you didn't didn't make enough to have multiple places, and I didn't have a place back, and uh, wasn't going to move in with my parents, so I was already paying rent for a, a place in Pittsburgh. So I just stayed there, and like I said, the guys, the team skated, practiced every day at one of the local arenas uh, until it ended, until that lock uh, lockout ended, and we got back to playing, which in itself was funny. <clears throat> I talked to other guys and, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, teams are trying to get them into what they think is shape. They're wearing these guys out for three hours a day, which was the most you could have them at the rink. And, you know, our team was Mario and Yager and Stevens and, and Francis and Larry Murphy and all these guys. We went in, we practiced, uh, Eddie Johnston was our coach. He, uh, he was like, you know, this is, you know, we practice a certain way and, and uh, there was no extra skating after unless you wanted to do it yourself. He didn't want anyone pulling muscles or, you know, things basically stay out of the weight room if you haven't been in there because you're just going to hurt yourself <laughs> and uh, use your head and that whole bit. And, and other guys are getting killed. And we started, if you go back, I think we started like eight and two or something like we had an unbelievable start. Like we had a really, it was a great team. It was an amazing team, the, the top end talent, the guys were on it, but uh it was pretty funny listening to everyone else getting bagged and they're in the weight room and they're on the bike and they're everywhere else that the coaches are making and we're not. Going to jump back to Hartford. Your second year, you played half the year in uh, in the NHL. You scored four goals. What do you remember about the the first NHL goal? Do you got a vivid memory of that? Yeah, it was uh, – well, there's two things that go into it. So I'm uh, not sure how long I've been up. I don't think I'd had an NHL fight yet. And, uh, but I was called up, sent down Springfield. They'd moved the farm team from Binghamton to Springfield. The guy that coached down there. So they, that was the year came out of training camp and, uh, or right at the end of it. I was one of the last guys cut and they just said, you know what, it's, you know, you're tough enough. We want you to learn to play forward. At that point I played defense. So we're going to send you down. <clears throat> we want you to be a, you know, go down there and figure out how to be a forward. Just go play hockey, fight whenever, you know, don't worry about that part of it. So I went down and, and back then you dressed 10 forwards, 60. And for whatever reason, I, I mean, I, I she was always on time. always worked hard. This coach had zero regard for me. I was the 10th guy. So I had games where I'd be lucky to get a shift. And uh, one of our last uh, games was in New Haven. Uh, LA used to have their farm team there. New Haven's only about 45 minutes from Hartford and all the coaches and, and uh, that group came down to watch the game. And afterwards the GM came over to me and said, all right, pack your stuff. You're coming up. I'd played one shift and I was shocked. I said, why? Like, I don't get it. And he goes, well, you're not going to get any better here. Not playing. You're like, you know, so, all right. So I got, that was the funniest part. And then I wanted, I played more in the NHL for, for Rick Lee that year um, than I had in the minors for the coach that I had there. It was bizarre, but we went out on a road trip. We're in Calgary at first night. And uh, yeah, it was actually breakaway goal i think rick wamsley was the the goalie probably the last breakaway ever had which makes no sense and uh the only better we they, back then now that's that's 91 maybe or something like that maybe 92 and it's right in there 91 yeah. yeah so they'd won the cup two years early still had a heck of a team but they they thumped us pretty good so let's say it's five six two something like that and afterwards rick lee just he rips into everybody but i had rabbit ears i just i only heard usually negative, but some of the positive, but definitely the negative. And you said it and he ripped me, you know, like I think of myself, well, I had a goal, but I didn't, they didn't fight anybody. I didn't, you know, you get down a couple, that was the time to go do it and try to turn the momentum, whatever. I didn't do it. And so I'm like, Oh, great. You know? And like I said, I've been up and down this, this at this point I hadn't moved in anywhere. I didn't have a place or anything like that permanently in Hartford. And uh, so the next night we're playing in, in Edmonton 
and we, so we bus up there, whatever three hour bus ride. And the whole time up, I'm just thinking about, you know, I scored a goal, coach yelled at me, scored a goal, coach yelled at me. I'm like, I don't even know if I'll play the next night, probably get sent down. Like I'm just down on myself and back to the minors and, you know, maybe I should just quit and go be a police officer like my dad and, you know, all this negative crap. This is how I was. I couldn't help myself. Meadow, Meadow yeah. Lake, here I come. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we get up there, we're in warm up, and I don't know why, but I'm skating around at the end of warm up, kicking a puck in my skates. I'm on the red line and this big guy stretching on our side. Just as he gets up, I run into him. Not hard, but I ran into him and they got this little yappy guy. Uh, it's either Linsman or Acton. I always get him confused. And he looks at me, he looks at the big guy, he goes, holy cow, Brian. He goes, this kid's trying to show you up in your own building. What are you going to do? And the big guy looks at him, looks at me, goes, you're dead. And I'm like, buddy, I want, I got more things to worry about than this nonsense. Like, whatever. Like, well, for the rest of warm up, we're like slap shot. We're, you know, bumping into each other. And then we're, we're, we're looking at each other, doing all this. Um, you know, Kelly Bachberger's playing for Edmonton and he comes to Mac. He's like, you got a death wish. What are you doing? I'm like, Bucky, come on. I said, man, the coach is mad at me. I scored last night. You probably saw it in the highlights. And, uh, <laughs> You know, like I got more things to worry about than some guy that's, you know, mad at me or whatever. I I still don't get it. I go in the locker room and much like junior, my first year pro, I fought a lot of tough guys in the American league, but I don't know that I fought 10 times when guys are fighting 20. I didn't have, I didn't have 200 penalty minutes when guys would have three or 400. Like I just played and when it happened, it happened. So everyone in that locker room, with the exception of Daryl Ray, who had been our backup goalie or our goalie rather in the, in the minors, our backup in the, in the NHL. No one had seen me fight. So I go in that locker room and it's like a, it's like a morgue. It's just dead. Nobody will look at me. Right. Cause I'm a dead man. And I'm like hitting guys in the shin pad. Come on guys, better one tonight. Come on. You know, and you know, whatever you say after you got thumped the night before and the coach is mad at you. And they dressed a couple, you always dressed a couple extra guys for warm up, and then you fill out your lineup. Well, I'm sitting there worried that I'm going to be one of the guys not playing. Right. And the guys that don't want to play the other extras are worried they're going to play. And so the coach comes in, tells me I'm playing. I'm like, oh, great. You know, go out first or second shift. The big guy comes over, gives me a, let's go. All right. So we have a fight. It turns out it's a great fight. Go to the box, serve my five, coming back to the bench. And the whole bench is up. The whole bench is going nuts. They're all excited. And I'm whatever. I'm like, what is wrong with these guys? Like one minute they won't look and talk to me. Now the next minute, like I didn't get it. And uh, so didn't think I did very, like I didn't, you know, I said I fought a bit in the minors and then did really well in my fights. This was a much tougher fight. And uh, so the next shift back then is it was the norm. If you didn't think you did well, you went out and fought the same guy again. So I get out there and I give the guy a shove and can let's go again. And he can just like settle down, play some hockey, whatever he says. I can't remember what he says. I'm still fired. I'll go right to the bench and change because I'm so frustrated. Third period, we're down a goal, 10 minutes left. I'm done. And I'm down by Daryl Ray and I'm pouting. And he says, you know, what's your problem? He said, you score a goal last night. He said, you just fought the toughest guy in the league. or one of the toughest guys. Like, what's your deal? Like, what are you talking about, Razor? I said, should have killed this guy. You saw me last year. Like, I, you know, I scored a goal and the coach yelled at me. I said, I don't even give it to this guy tonight. Like, I'm getting sent down. I'll probably never play again in the NHL again. Like, I hate this game. I'm just, he goes, do you know who you fought? Like, yeah, some Brown guy. He goes, Dave Brown. I'm like, ooh, Dave Brown. Charlie Brown. Downtown Brown. Like, yeah. He goes, Dave Brown. I'm like, Dave Brown of the Philadelphia Flyers. He goes, how about Dave Brown? They got traded to Edmonton last year. And I swear, because I, I, I didn't know, I could feel like I could feel the blood like just run. Like now I'm like, holy crap. I fought him. Then I went, I poked him again. And now we're down a goal. And as, as the clock gets lower, we're getting ready to pull the goalie. Well, if we pull the goalie and they score and go up too, guess who's going back on the ice? Because back then, that's who went back on the ice. And you had 
end of the game fights, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm in, my, in my own mind, the coach is yelling to the goalie, come on. And I'm like, no, leave him in. It's a good team. <laughs> loss. You know, one goal loss, take the loss. When we don't take it, the goalie's pulled. We don't score, but neither do they. I must have cleared the bench by two feet. I was so excited and have to go back out and fight him again or whatever. And Razor comes up after this. You really didn't know who you fought. I said, I had no idea. I said, I kind of <laughs> thought the Brownies still played for Philadelphia. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, so stupid. And the only better than that is that uh, Brownie's a great guy. He works for Philadelphia. I see him from time to time. And after I got to know him for a couple of years, I said, I got to tell you a story. I hope you don't think less of me, but here you go. And he just laughed. He thought it was pretty funny. So, Did you know he was a lefty? I didn't know anything. I didn't know who he was. No, I'm not kidding. Like <laughs> I went in great. there, I, I had no idea. I was still so focused on the coach yelling at me after we had, like, I couldn't get past that, that I had no idea who, who I really thought I knew who Dave Brown was. I, in my mind, Dave Brown played for Philadelphia. I had no idea he got traded. to. <laughs> awesome. I had no clue. I just figured he's a big guy. And I learned he threw less. <laughs> I learned, I learned how you really learned that he threw lefts. Um, uh, yeah, that was, that was my, so that was my first goal. First fight, uh, Road trip. What a weekend. Yeah, Alberta. Yeah. Did mom and dad make it to that? Did not. No, it was a last minute call up. Like it back then it was, you know, it's and it's great that they do it how they do it now and, and that. But it was, you know, you get the call sometimes, meet us at the airport. You weren't up for a day or two practicing or anything, and you get on the plane and that point uh flew out to Calgary for the first night and Edmonton the next. So you kind of mentioned in that story, you were maybe a little bit you thought on the negative side, or you're always maybe thinking about the worst early in your career, whether it's getting sent down or, or whatever. Talk to a lot of guys, you know, tougher guys who said a lot of their NHL career, they were kind of on pins and needles that, you know, somebody would come in and take their job. Like they maybe didn't enjoy it as much because they were so worried about getting replaced. Did you have that in your career? Like, were you, was that a worry of yours that, uh, you know, were you able to enjoy it, I guess, fully, or were you always kind of looking over your shoulder on how long it was going to last early in the career? I think both. I think harder for me early in my career is like I, the whole time you're trying to play hockey. Like I didn't get the role. I didn't understand the role, you know, and there are other guys like me that like we didn't fight a lot in junior. We didn't fight a lot, even in the American league. And then you get there and it's kind of a job or it is a job. And you have some coaches that you play hockey and you fight and other coaches, you just fight, right? They, that's what they want you there for. So I didn't understand the role. That's a big reason why, like, if you look at early, I moved around as quick as much as I did. And probably in the first, I'd go game, I'd go two weeks without a fight, which was unheard of, right? Because it's just, you know, why would I, like, if, you, if I'm not on the ice playing, how am I supposed to go fight a guy? It doesn't make, I couldn't, in my head, you know, get it around my head, so to speak. If I'm out there and I'm in the game and I'm playing and somebody does something to my teammate or to me, then I get it, yeah. And then as I got more immersed in the role, you figure, okay, and, you're down two goals. So you can go turn the game around with a big hit or a big fight, you know, those kinds of things as well. So part of it was that part of it was trying to figure out how to play forward and still not actually play, do the fighter role. You know, like there's so many different parts of it where you just, but the bigger part was probably for most guys, um, you're on one year contracts and they had that or that one year. And it was an option is what it was called, but it was the team option and it wasn't anything they ever picked up until June anyway. So you're really on a one year contract every year. Uh, there was only 21 teams, you know, they're right there. You're, you're talking, yeah. you know, a couple hundred, almost a couple hundred players less in the league than there is today. Um, even though the game's different, but it's still, that's, that's a lot of players, you know, that's, it's, it really, uh, makes a huge difference in terms of opportunity. Um, so yeah, you're always thinking, you know, who could it be or, or, or who's next or whatever. And not the easiest role, right. In terms of physically, mentally, whatever, um, you know, back then, I don't know how many guys 
were stretching it into their 30s doing that role because you had to fight the 21, 22-year-old kid that was coming up and was brand new to it. Geographically, probably the closest NHL team to you growing up in Carlisle, you get the special um, opportunity to play the last year before Winnipeg moves to Phoenix. What do you remember about that year and the, the emotions with the team and probably the city and everything, Jim? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it's every cliche that you can imagine in terms of you go pick up your dry cleaning and you guys got to get the power play going, you know, like people, <laughs> but not in a bad way. People, they knew the game, right? Cause it's everybody played it. Everybody watched it. Everybody knew it. Um, you know, it was the negative side that the team was moving late in the year traded, uh, Tamo Solani, uh, to Anaheim, you know, things like that. So those parts were, were hard, but I mean, you have a practice on a on a Sunday and and a group of guys that go get some breakfast or something. You'd be 20 kids in there from two hours away that were there for a hockey tournament and all knew who you were and wanted autograph. Like stuff, little stuff that's just it, it was a great experience from that standpoint. And you know, the, the the crowd was was were great down the stretch. Uh we played Detroit that year, who had at the time set the record for most wins. Uh Nikolai Hobby Bulin, who I just read, signed. Um, <laughs> yeah Russian team I don't know what Nikki's thinking but he was like so a great goalie and uh, we had a great series with them so uh, they did the white out you know that they do and that so all that stuff um, everything about it was positive uh, certainly not the moving part or any time that you know fans talked about it or anything like that but yeah. it was to, to play there and, and like you said it was only you know maybe a five-hour drive from Carlisle or wherever it was my parents could come that's the closest to a, a hometown team that that I would have. So that was great to, to have them around. Um, though they'd probably argue they liked it better when I was in Phoenix and Anaheim. Yeah. yeah. And they'd come down and visit in the winter and the weather was a lot better. They'd never go home. That's, yeah. that's, that's the second part to my question is uh, the next year you, you, you play in Phoenix for the expansion team. I'm actually, I lived down there then. Uh, we had season tickets to the, and I remember America West arena, although you only could see part of the rink on the one side, like it was buzzing. It was packed. Yeah. It was the place to go. Do you think that once they do get a, get an arena on the, on the East side of the Valley somewhere, um, that that team can work there from what you saw in, in 96, 96, 97. Well, without a doubt, it's, it's a great sports of any sport. It is a great sports, uh, area city, whatever you want to call it. It's bigger than a city. Now It just, it's massive, but they support all their teams and it's, it's, um, the South all the way across is a little different. You either have to be win some games or be entertaining or both. But the quickest way to turn off a fan base is to talk about finances and ownership and all those other things. And all these teams have struggled whenever, and that's normal. Fans, people, people paying money to watch a sport have their own troubles, their own life. The kids going to school, saving money for college, whatever's going on with their job. They don't need to hear about, you know, as they used to say, billionaire owners and millionaire players complaining about whatever they're complaining about. They just want to be entertained. That's why they go. But the time that the two years I was there, it was, it was awesome. Like you said, it was sold out. It was packed. Um, it didn't matter what events we we had, if we had charity softball or, or whatever things that they were sold out every time. Like it was just, it's a great sports area. And without question, they, they, you know, the arena in Glendale is beautiful. It's just an hour away. Like nobody wants to travel an hour on a Tuesday night with kids after a game. Like it's just, it's a lot to ask. But if you have that back closer to where your fan base is, um, it certainly makes things a lot easier. And and I do. I think it's a great 
I mean, Austin Matthews grew up playing there. Like when you start, when you have that many rinks, you know, the one thing they've done really well is youth hockey. When you're producing kids that are playing in the NHL from places like that, that's, that's almost unheard of. Yeah. And uh, that means you, you've got some, those are the same, those kids that are they're going on and playing college or, or whatever level they're playing when they move home and have their own families, they're taking their kids to play hockey. You know, you're growing your own fan base is, is what you're doing. You're doing a great job of it. Hey, I, uh, Got a message from one of our former guests, Darren Kimball, who I know you're your buddies with, and you you fought in the NHL actually 30 years ago, New Year's Eve, you and him fought in the NHL. But the one thing he told me is that uh, you were one of the few guys who had quite a bit of success fighting Tony Twist, who I know your buddies with as well. So, what led to your success against Twist that Kimball says you had? I, based on what everyone's told me, it's genetics. I got a, a huge hard head from my dad uh, <laughs> because if you look at those fights, it's not, they're not one-sided, right? They're give and take. And, uh, you know, I would say Twister probably has the reputation along with, uh, with Brownie and, and Joey Kosher, like, and every guy hit hard. I mean, wrong. Like guys, it wasn't like they're tossing muffins at you, but those are the three guys that, that swung a different way and they swung with everything they had. And I think, you know, Twister said he played around 250 pounds. I mean, that's to, and he's, it's, there's no fat on that guy, you know, and he's lean and he's mean and, and, uh, to swing an arm that hard or, or to bring a fist that hard. So it's gotta be genetics, uh, you know, from having the hard head or, or whatever, there's really no other reason. I just, I try to throw back is whatever he was throwing at me and, and, uh, switch hands that sometimes could throw him off. Maybe I think when you start right-handed and switch to left or the other way around can throw guys off a little, maybe, but, uh, you know, probably more luck in genetics than anything else. Do you remember your NHL fight against Kimball? He says, uh, he thinks you had a broken nose from a previous fight when you fought him. He said, you, you fought a smart fight. He said he was tired at the end. And, uh, yeah. Do you remember that fight at all? Well, we had a couple, and if it's the one in Chicago, um, the reason I had to fight a smart fight, uh, I may have had a broken nose as well, but he got out of his, back then you didn't have to tie down. He got out of his stuff. I had nothing to hang on to. I actually showed it to a couple of the young guys when I work with them. I just, you know what, don't panic. Like, don't don't get teed off on, but just don't panic. And uh, I let him, I think at the end, I let him punch him, punch himself out uh, <laughs> and hung in there till the end. But yeah, I... He had come out of his stuff and was peppering me pretty good. Were you buddies with a lot of these guys when you were fighting them in the NHL? It's um, as you get better at it, the role you learn, it is just a job. And so you do go out and do it. And then, you know, it's, it's no big deal. But when I was younger, I, I couldn't for a second, I didn't want to meet anybody that I thought I had to fight. I didn't want to get to know somebody and then have to go out. I didn't have the personality for it. So I, you know, a lot of these, you know, different events that would be organized. Uh, I think they had like stuff, softball tournaments in the summer for charity. They used to have different events. I never went to any of them because I didn't want, because usually a lot of the guys liked me there. I didn't want to meet them. I didn't want to get to know them. I didn't want to be their buddy or friend. And then, you know, the next time we're playing, either they run one of my guys or, or they want to fight. And I just, I'm not going to fight as hard as I should. And I'm going to end up in the losing end because that's just how my personality was. So, um, but they're the first guy, um, back when uh, Korea and, and uh, Solani were taking some real abuse in, in Anaheim over the summer, uh, they acquired both me and Stu Grimson. And it was the first time I, when I first came in the league, Ed Kostelik was uh, Hartford's tough guy. He was a really tough, big Ed was a tough, tough guy, but I never really played with another heavyweight after that. So, but Stu and I, like we, the first moment we met, we got like, 
both from the West, both police officers for dads, same kind of sense of humor. Like just, we hit it. Like it just, you get along and we're still, he lives in Nashville. We're still friends today. Like it's, it's funny how, how easy it is to get along with those guys. And they've done the same thing as you or they're, you know, same kind of background or, or whatnot. So I gotta, yeah, that leads me, uh, obviously couple of years in Jersey, you win the Stanley cup in 2003, Pat Burns was your coach. He was a former cop too, right? Yes. What, yeah. what was Pat like? He, Pat was incredible. Pat was, uh, he was not only a police officer, I believe he at one point was undercover drug, uh, drug enforcement out in Quebec. And then got into the coaching there, coached in uh, the uh, Quebec league and even won some Memorial cups before he got into pro, but, um, he was loud. He was, you know, but he was, I don't know. He, he didn't, if he yelled at you, he wasn't yelling anything bad, if it makes sense. And he usually yelled at you more as a group. Um, usually he yelled at you when things were going better than when things weren't, you know, he could, he would, you know, he certainly fire up a room if he had to, if you weren't playing well, if the team wasn't playing well, you know, those kinds of things, but great guy. Um, we, uh, you know, I think coaches, coaches and goalies sometimes get too much credit when you win and too much, blame when you lose but he would definitely be the exception to that you know the year we won uh in the uh, old practice rink in new jersey they had on the wall these huge uh photos or paintings or however these murals they do it from 95 and uh 2000 when they had won and there was an open section where there was nothing and one of the first days of training camp we're in there stretching getting ready he just walks through matter of fact he points at it and says right there that's where we want our picture one year from now get that through your head and that's what we're doing and and then he just, that's what he went about every day of reminding you, why are we here? Why are we here? You know, you, if you're not going to do it in November, you're not going to do it in June when we need you to do it. So don't pretend like if you got to take a hit, block a shot, do what you got to do, uh, play when you're tired, do all those things. Uh, ran a bench, incredible. Him, the Montreal connection, I guess, because I played briefly for Bob Gainey. Uh, I played for Larry Robinson. I played for Pat. And I heard the same thing of Scotty Bowman and uh, Jacques Lemaire the way they ran a bench, the way they used, they knew that, you know, it's Saturday night and they wore out their best line on Friday night to get the win. You're going to need to lean on your fourth line. So go tell them that, tell them, you know, you don't, don't need a goal out of you, but don't give anything up. You're going to play more than you should. But just, they were great that way. But from Bernsey's standpoint, to give you an example, how great he was, he's uh, like every once in a while, he'd walk through the room after practice and he said, uh, why don't you guys go for a beer and, and uh, go for lunch, have a beer and talk about how bad the coaches are. Cause that's what we're going to do about you right now or something like that. You know, <laughs> that. Uh, you know it came in, uh, we played the last game of the year that year. We played Washington and Washington. Um, they were out. They were, we'd be within the next year or two that they draft Ovechkin. Like they were in their rebuild mode. So they weren't very good. They had all the young guys up. They'd sold off at the deadline. And uh, we went in there. We didn't take Scott Stevens. We didn't take two or three of our best players. Marty came, Brodeur, but he didn't play. And they beat us. You know, we didn't. We laid an egg, and they beat us. The young guys were hungry and beat us. And whatever, we we, we couldn't move. We, we'd won our division. Uh, we weren't going anywhere. So I'll go in the next day for practice. It's maybe the greatest day of the year. It's the first day before the first round of the first game of the playoffs. And when you walked into the practice rink, uh, you walked in through the uh, the fitness center. And Bernsey's in there walking on the treadmill. So already I know he's in a bad mood because Bernsey didn't work out. He wasn't, that was just wasn't his thing. Right. <laughs> and he loved to talk like you weren't in the room when he talked to you sometimes. And uh, so I'm walking in and by myself he goes, Oh, here he comes. Yeah. Here comes one of them right now. And I'm like, Hey, Bernsey, what's going on? And back then, uh, 
Lou Lamorello, New Jersey on the road, you had a team breakfast. Teams do it now, but back then it wasn't normal to do that. We were one of the few teams that did it. You had a team breakfast. You went to the morning skate. You came back. You had a team meal, which everybody had. Well, the team breakfast, Lou would be the first guy in. And he would sit in the corner. And when you walked in, he'd say, good morning. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Lou. And you go get your food and you sit down. And the myth, there was a million myths about Lou, but the, the rumor myth was that he was checking to see if he thought you were out the night before. So he would look at you, say good morning, and you had to look, say good morning back, and then you went and got your food. That's what all the guys, and they called it fresh face. You had to have a fresh face when you come in there, right? <laughs> so, all right. So I'm walking through, and, and Bernie says, yep. He called Lou the old man. He goes, the old man's on the warpath. Said, you and some of, you and some of your girlfriends didn't have fresh face uh, this morning or yesterday for the game, <laughs> referring to my teammates. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm just telling you what Lou thought. He says, there was no fresh face, and he is fired up. I go, what do you, this, we weren't out. So nobody went out. Like, what are you talking? Like, no, nobody went out. So we're back in. He says, well, that's not what he thinks. And he is, he is fired up. And he stays at me to the point where now I'm getting angry and I'm arguing with him. And I'm like, we, nobody went out. Like, what are you talking about? This is stupid. And I'm getting really fired up. He goes, you could even go out. I said, I got a room service at nine. You want me to go get the bill? You can check out the bill. So you weren't out. I said, no, none of your friends were out. I said, no, none of you guys went out. I said, no. He goes, well, next time go out. Cause you sucked. And then he just, <laughs> right? I'm like, holy cow. He's like, but so that was stuff Bernsey would do. He was, like I said, he, he kept you on your toes and, and the whole bit, but he was, he was so good. He ran a bench. Our, it was unbelievable. He knew who was going. He knew how to get guys going. He didn't, he wasn't scared to mix and match lines, make whatever work, you know? Did you, uh, did you get into the lineup at all? And you played 13 playoff games. Did you play in the finals against Anaheim at all? I did. I played, uh, I want to say the, it was the ones at home, uh, except for the, the game seven. I believe were the ones uh, that I played. I can't, I think I might've played one game on the road. Yeah. So it leads me into my question. So you're near the end of your career. You guys got a good team. You win the cup, like walk us through that feeling. I mean, it would, I think it's different probably if you win it your first two years rather than grinding as much as you grinded and then you win that thing late in your career. Like what kind of a feeling was that? How special was that? Especially after losing it. Yeah, especially after losing it is that's actually the key. So when I got there, they had just won the cup and I played in Pittsburgh after they won a couple and, and I was younger and you ask as many questions, try to get a feel for it. And so in New Jersey, same thing. And I just remember uh, a couple of the guys, Brian Rafalski was one. I, he's just, you know what? He goes, believe it or not, Matt, because it's, it's just relief. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, because you played that whole year. He goes, so did the other team that you beat. He said, like, when you get to the finals, it can go anyway. Like, you're not playing on talent anymore. It's just, it's what's you got left in the tank and and everything else. He goes, it's a relief. So the first year in New Jersey, we went all the way back and we lost in game seven. We won uh, game five to go up 3-2 in, in uh, Colorado. We came back, got beat, and lost in game seven. And I like I I still got to go in that building to scout, and I I walk through where you walk through as a player, and it still comes back is that game seven feeling of losing, and you learn in a hurry that I did. I'm a bigger poor loser than I am a good winner, if that makes sense. I I hate to lose more than I like to win, and there there really is a difference. And uh, Turner Stevenson was my teammate the year we lost, and we lived we used to carpool because we lived close together, and. Just, you know, as as pouty as you can imagine, you know, we talked about it after. Like, we're never – to get there was incredible. Having never been to the finals, we're never getting back. You know that, right? And we used to say, like, we're never getting back. This is never – like, it just – you see how things have to line up for everything to work. Uh, and then, like you said, two years later, we're back in it. Uh, and it's game seven again. And when the game was finally over, it was as much as you're excited and it's awesome and it's and all the things that come with it, it is that relief where – you just beat a team that played as many games as you. 
and you, you beat them by one more game. And, you know, it's just, it is an amazing feeling that you're just, wow, to get all this wave, to have it work out this way. Um, pretty cool and everything that goes with it. There's, there's always, there's always the bumps and bruises. Talk to guys, guys playing through, like you said, right. You're playing on uh, heart and, and adrenaline at that point. Anything in your cup runs where you remember a guy playing that ha- should have not have been on the ice? Oh yeah, it's 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 totally normal. I didn't dig into it with our team this year, um, but I know back then that there were guys getting needles and shots every game, and without them they couldn't have played. Whether it had uh, you know your knee was torn, foot was broken from blocking shots, whatever the issue might have been, uh, any of those things, guys were. Guys were always getting shot up, and that's part of the reason you had you always had extra guys ready for warm up because you didn't know the guy or two that was getting shot up if the shot worked. You know what I mean? Like if you went out there and felt it, there's like you if your foot's broken or your knee's torn, you just can't do it. Um, you know, so yeah, there was there were lots of guys like that. Um, you know, and, and guys that were just playing exhausted because you know you, they've been on the run the entire time playing. You know, for your D man, twenty five minutes every night, and back then you're getting, you're taking checks, you're getting hit every shift, right? You're getting targeted, not to the head, not behind, nothing dirty, but physically you're expected to take those hits, and you do. It it could have been one of the thank you. I gotta want to say thanks because it could have been one of the first hockey pools I ever won. I went heavy on New Jersey that year. You guys won, and I won. I think my first ever hockey pool. I you know with the some of the guys like you met Jeff Friesen and yeah, you know yeah. Ellie Ash and those guys. Um, you end your career where you're living now in Nashville. I gotta ask you, you you play there last year and you got Jordan Tutu, former guest, Scott Hartnell, former guest, and you got young Scotty Upshaw, Dan Ham. There were some young guys on that team that liked to give her. Were you a lot of were you a babysitter that year you know with Trotsy? No. No, not really. Like they, they were, they were a great group. They're all on their first contracts. So the next year was the year long lockout and all the young guys on all the organizations on their first contract got sent to the American league, which probably would have been some of the best American league hockey ever. Um, but all those guys were, they did like to give her and they liked to have fun, but they wanted to be hockey players. They were, they were just fighting to stay in the NHL. They didn't know how good they were going to be yet. They weren't on their second year deal. They hadn't made any money. You know, they're making really good money, but they weren't making the money they were going to make. Um, I just, like I said, you know, so in, I don't, it's always been this way. But back then, if you had to say uh, 11 o'clock practice, you had to be there by 10. And you'd have guys, I'm always like my my family still hates traveling with me because I'm like the guy that's two hours at the airport. I'd rather be sitting there with a coffee <laughs> than panic going through at the last minute, worried if I'm getting through security. And I have... I have TSA, I have clear, I have everything you have because of how much I travel. So it's not like I'm more than five minutes through security, but that's how I am mentally. I am there that early. Like I'll beat TSA to the TSA sometimes, right? I just <laughs> can't help it. Well, it was the same way when I played. And part of it, I think maybe was, I didn't know how long I was going to be in the NHL. So I'm always the first guy there, always been like that. So 11 a.m. practice, I'll be there probably by nine. You know, sit there and have a coffee. I loved hanging out in the training room. If you want to learn anything about your team or what's going on, just hang out in the training room because they know everything, right? The trainers and equipment guys know everything going on. They hear everything. Guys go to them. They're they're like the local bartender you tell your problems to, right? They hear everything. So anyways, with this young group, like the other part you have, you have guys, and it's not an age thing, it's personality. Those same guys that are last minute to the airport, well, they're last minute coming in. So if you got to be there at 10, there's always guys coming in five minutes before, but they're always on time. They always do it. Yeah. They always do it. And you have a group of guys that are always watching the door, hoping somebody's late so they can find them and make fun of them and all the stuff that goes with it. But that year, we never, if we had guys that were late, we had guys that were late, but we never had anybody coming in because they were out too late, if that makes sense. Yeah. We're coming in 
They weren't, <laughs> somebody didn't have to power dial them to get them out of bed or anything. We never had, so they knew how to pick their spots, you know, Before, and they were really good on the road because I think they had so much fun at home yeah. on our holidays, right? So if we played Saturday, we don't play till Monday or Tuesday, we had Sunday off. Well, they know Saturday's a green light, you know, <laughs> and, and you fly out Monday and Tuesday play wherever you played. Well, they're, they just want to get rest because they were out Saturday night still. So they, <laughs> They were a hard, they were a great group. They competed hard. They're a funny, funny bunch. But, and the, the yeah. amazing part, all those guys that, that Nashville, they all had an edge to their game. Like there was no softness in any of those guys. You know, they they all played hard. They all played physical when they were yeah. fun. Uh, you had, you mentioned Scotty Hartnell, bird dog, the biggest <laughs> drill wrecker ever in practice, like complete drill record, never paid attention when the drills and always want to be at the front of the line, always do the drill wrong. <laughs> Coaches blow it down, lose their mind. We're like, what are you doing? Like, why, why do you have to go out? And he just, that was his, per that was a great guy. Right. And he's a smart guy. It's not like he's dumb. He just, that was just how he was. Right. <laughs> he also, he, I've never seen a guy who could skate that well. It was that good fall down. as Couldn't stand up. Yeah. yeah. Always. So, Anaheim had this Russian kid. Uh, I want to say his name was Vishnevsky. He was a really physical guy. He could thump guys, defenseman, really good hitter. And we're playing in Anaheim one night, sitting on the bench beside Toots. And Bird Dog goes flying by with the puck. And this Vishnevsky's out there. And you hear this kaboom. And the whole crowd goes, ooh. And we look down and the camera's there and everything. And Scotty gets up. His helmet's on sideways. And he ends up out with a concussion. And Toots is like, oh, I'm going to get that Russian. He's all fired up. He goes, I'm going to get that guy. And they show the replay. Never touched him. He went down, his feet <laughs> tingled up, and he fell into the boards, hit his head, knocked himself out, basically. How we end these, Jim, is uh rapid fire questions. These these are these are gotta quick answers, maybe like uh 10 seconds if you can. And I know Shane's gotta get to his kids hockey uh skate here, so we're gonna let him ask his token question before he leaves. My All token right. one, you played obviously a lot of games in the show. So what was your favorite road city or road barn you played in and why? Wow. You know what? Maybe, maybe Montreal, because I grew up a Montreal Canadiens fan. Like, to be honest, they're all, as long as there's a great crowd there, they're all. And the great. hot dogs. But, oh, the hot dogs are ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You could eat six or eight of those and I even like just <laughs> wouldn't even get into your hunger yet. Like they're so good. But I'd say probably Montreal just because I grew up as a Montreal Canadiens fan. Nostalgic wise, let's go back. You got to, you got to think long and hard here. What was your favorite barn playing in as a kid in Saskatchewan? I, uh, probably Carlisle because I grew up there and what I always liked, I didn't like dark rinks. I thought, I, I don't know what it is. I hated like sometimes on the road as a pro you'd practice at their practice rink or a local rink and it was dim or dark. Like I just, I've never liked it. The Carlisle rink was, it was a bright rink. Uh, you know, it was normal sized ice. So it was great that way. Um, you know, more space to skate and play. So I'd say probably Carlisle. And then funny is like, and we all know this, you go to some of the smaller, like I remember going like manor, their, their rink, their roof leaked, right? So you get the, the, the bubbles that would drip down and freeze. And then, you know, if they didn't come out and scrape them right, they'd trip over them, shoot the pocket, skip off and go up in the air and stuff like that, right? Uh, so, yeah. And we might have mentioned a few names earlier, but who punched the hardest? Uh, well, the guy, those were the guys of the reputation were Twister, uh, Koser, and, and Brownie. Um, you know, I, I just, they're just, yeah, like every guy hit hard. Like it was just, if you weren't ready or, or you, the guy was a different, especially early on, because we didn't have video, we weren't going on and, and doing that stuff. But uh, I got, I got really good at, at throwing with both hands in part because early on my, if I threw right-handed my, and you punch somebody, especially in the head, the head was worse than a helmet. Uh, my knuckles would swell up, so I couldn't grip or throw or as well. So I'd throw with my left or whatever, but 
not so much because it, it hit hard, but uh, I fought Tim Hunter a couple of times and I was bigger than him and I couldn't figure out. He put me in these pretzel. He did these things with his hands. I couldn't figure out. And he just like pepper me from one side. And when I switch, he pepper me from the other side. And like, I couldn't figure out. So I finally one day did took the old, the old VHS and I put it in there and watch. And I watched where he grabbed me and watch what he did. And then I started doing it practice and I got good at it. And I used it when I played pro. So it was probably that was the best learning lesson. It wasn't even a, getting punched hard or getting concussed or anything like that. It was just, it was almost cartoonish where his hands were coming from different spots. I'm like, do you have three hands? Like, I can't figure this out. That is the worst when you first find yes. out when a guy can tie up your arms and then he's yes. slapping you around. It's like he's got the, that that six hand kind of, yeah. you yeah. know, thing, whatever culture that has. Um, okay, quick, couple of quick ones here for you. What was your favorite warm up song to warm up to? You know what? Anything classic rock. And I think about it all the time because part of it is being a scout. You're there before warm ups, right? So you watch every warm up and I get it. And, you know, the stuff my kids listen to or whatever, but the music's just awful, right? I, I So if anything, and I'm saying that as a guy from the 80s with a mullet, right? Like, what do I know? But, you know, anything, if you played 70s or 80s to play that classic rock stuff, you know, Guns yeah. and Roses, Molly Crew, uh, nice. Cult, you know, that kind of that kind of music. I'll take that over and all that nonsense we went yeah. through in the 90s and they're listening to now. What was your uh, favorite pregame meal? Uh, I was pretty simple. I was uh, chicken. I was rice instead of pasta. And then I put the pasta sauce over and whatever veggie, the broccoli or whatever uh, was that. And then what you did was depending on where you were playing, a lot of the time we'd have a group of guys that would go eat locally. So it was, it changed obviously every, every place I went, but that was normal to, to after the morning skate, instead of going home and cooking something or doing it that way, you ate at a local place. You ate the same thing every time. And, uh, you got pretty good at, uh, you know, where you'd walk in, they knew what you were going to order and they'd already have it ready for you. What is the one thing you have to have when you come back to Saskatchewan, whether it's food or something to drink, what's the one thing you must have and that, that you miss being down there? Well, my mom spoils me. Uh, so it can be cabbage rolls. It can be pierogies. It can be, she makes great borscht. It can be any, any food she makes and she, everything's hand, like it, it starts from scratch. Nothing comes out of a box or a package, right? It's, it's all, you know, like it means the one time I walked in, she went and bought a pumpkin and made pumpkin pie. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. Like <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop you from doing it, but that's pretty impressive. Right. <laughs> right um, on. And then uh, the last one, and this can be a little bit longer. What is the guiltiest you remember playing? The guiltiest I remember playing in Quebec city on the road. And uh, that's the second, wasn't it Kimball that said Quebec city as well? <laughs> yeah. Quebec City was a sleeper town to say the least. It was uh, they were totally behind their team. It was the whole place just rocked and and yeah, uh, yeah. I went to Quebec City, stayed out a little late, one of the few times ever. Not stupid late, but late, um, late enough and too many beers because usually you, you take it easy. You're in by eight or nine or whatever. This was we were pushing curfew at this point, and uh, we in, uh, he can remain uh, nameless, but. Uh, it was, we had, uh, we'd signed a veteran guy and, uh, to take us under his wing, so to speak, cause it was a really young team in Hartford. And so he took me and a couple other guys out for dinner. So we sit down, go to order a beer. He's like, no, no, he gets the wine list. Well, I, I never had wine in my life. Never drank wine, never heard of wine. Right. And so we kind of made fun of him. He gets the wine. We have the wine. Wine's really good. And, uh, he gets another bottle. I don't know how many we end up having, uh, too many, especially when you've never had wine before. And go back and try to sleep it off, get up the next day. 
it's not only a game day, it's a morning, it's an afternoon game. It's like a one or two game start, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> go down, eating breakfast. One of the other guys that was out with me, he looks just as bad, sits down beside me. And uh, we look around for the, the vet and go, well, he's not here. Where is he? And again, I don't know. And again, back then, no cell phones. You can't call. So I said, well, there's a house phone over there. You go call him. So he goes over, he calls, he comes back, you know, and he sits down and go, well, what do you say? He said, if I ever called his room again, he'd kill me. I said, oh, this is not good. I said, if, like, if he misses out, they're going to know. And we're, we're getting sent down like, holy cow. And uh, so we go to the rink, we're getting ready. Still no sign. And in the old arena, the uh, Le the door opens right to the ice. There's no hallways. It's not like all these new arenas now, right? Where you walk and there's a hallway and a bench and all that stuff. You open the door and, and you're going right on the ice like 10 steps later. It's like, you know, almost like a, uh, a youth rink. And we're tying our skates and the door swings open. And there's this, there's the vet. And uh, he comes walking in and he starts walking around the room and he's tapping all the guys. He say, let's have a good one today. Let's have a good one today. And I look around real quick. I started to figure it out. He doesn't have a stall. He doesn't have equipment. He had, he had bad, he had bad, I can't remember his shoulders or knees or both, but he didn't play all the games. Like he'd play and then they'd rest him for a game or whatever. He wasn't playing and he knew he wasn't <laughs> playing when he took us for dinner the night before. He didn't have his equipment on the road. <laughs> and so I'm sitting beside the other guy that looks and feels as bad as me. And I'm shaking my head and goes, what's he doing? Why is he getting his stuff on? I go, he doesn't have any stuff. <laughs> he's like, how's he going to play without any stuff? I go, he's not playing. I said he's sitting out again. Remember when we sat out like three weeks ago or whatever? He goes, he knew last night. I'm like, no way. So the vet comes over and gives us a tap. He's got the biggest smile. He goes, oh, I'll be watching you guys close today. <laughs> well, we go out, get through warm up somehow. And uh, it's Tim Hunter again. And I see him across the ice in one of my first shifts. And when the NHL first put the instigator rule in, it was two, five in a game. It wasn't a 10. And I knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> so when that puck went down, I did my best Ned Braden from slap shot. And I like threw one glove one way and my stick and glove the other way. And I made a real show about it so they could see. And like, Tim's like, what, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, this is totally like, there's, what are you doing? <laughs> and I basically jumped on him before he could get his gloves off. Uh, yeah. Didn't throw any hard punches. I didn't do anything dumb, but I made it certainly made it look like a fight. And the, uh, <laughs> The uh, referee, whoever it was at the time, like they didn't like doing it, but they had to when they had to. And they say, like, Mac, you got to give it the instigator. It's like, oh, no, 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 don't do it. And, like, gotta do it. <laughs> and uh, he says, got to do it. And so before he could change his mind, I said, well, you got to do what you got to do. And I got off the ice as fast as I could. I don't think I even showered, put my suit on and uh, went up to the way up the top, higher than the press box where uh, the vet was sitting. And uh, he didn't even look at me. I walked over and he had two cups with a little bit of foam on them. And he slid one over beside me. He goes, well played. <laughs> he goes, let's see, how your, let's see how your buddies do. And uh, I, I recall for some reason we got beat about 10 to three. They had Stackick and Sundin and all those guys, Ricci and uh, Nolan and that young talented team. And they hung out <laughs> on it. And none of the other guys figured out how to get out of the game and ended up with four or five minuses, I'm sure. That's amazing. Awesome. Jim, really appreciate uh, we took more time than uh, – Took more of your day than we anticipated, but it was fantastic, and we we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. Interview wrap-up 2020 Geo Maddox. Malcolm Vanstone. I mentioned earlier in the show I am in a group text about gambling with uh, Stefan. Malcolm's also in the uh, group text. Big play now, guys. This is actually, as we record this, is, I think, 16th wedding anniversary. He's out for a nice meal with the missus. So uh, he just sent in his ad read. 
And then he said uh, he actually got AI to write one for him. Yeah. This is going to take a while, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> it says to put in an upbeat, engaging tone music bed. So I'll add that in after maybe if I have time. Hey there, listeners. Have you heard the latest buzz? It's about 2020 Geomatics, your trusted local land surveyors who are all about professionalism and care. Now lean in a bit closer because we've got some inside scoop just for you. Excited whisper. Big news coming out of 2020 Geomatics. Well, they've been proudly serving Regina with top-notch dedication. They're expanding their horizons. Yes, you heard that right. In the upcoming year, 2020 Geomatics is opening up a brand new branch in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Fellas, that's pretty big news. Same local friendly service now reaching even more corners of our beautiful province. This expansion means a lot for rural Saskatchewan with a team of growing in numbers, 2020 Geomatics is reaffirming their commitment to serving our rural communities. I'm about halfway done, but I think that gets the point across. Wow. Big news. That is big, big news. Good new office. Beauty. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, second location. You know, he'll be hitting the uh, Deja Vu Cafe or Rosie's on River Street. <laughs> I was just going to say, open up the expense account to Nits. Oh, Thai food. Yeah. And and it ends with, stay tuned and watch how 2020 Geomatics continues to map the way forward for Saskatchewan. That's a pretty good line, actually. Map the way forward. I don't have to use that. Remember, you heard it here first. Cheerful outro music. Feel free to adjust the script to better match your podcast style or tone. Wow. That is an AI written ad read for 2020 Geo Maddox. Moose Jaw, we're coming for you. Beauties. Remind me next show we do. Send me that. Remind me next show to I'll show you this app that we use now in the radio game. And it's AI, but then you pick your voice, female, whatever language you want. You pick music, you do everything. Boom. It spits out an AI voiced music, everything commercial. Like this world is crazy. That is crazy. Crazy, crazy. And the hammer. Just, yeah. That was uh that was a good interview. Man, Great interview. Kind of, he was didn't think he was gonna do well. Like talk so good. Yeah. Big was, doubt, big doubt himself guy. Yeah, that was so funny. I quit. I'm going home. So funny. And I, let's roll uh high and tight here. A few things left. Shout outs. Shout outs. GAG. We got an AI uh, scripted ad for for uh synergy ag for retailer says it says heavy death metal and read hard <laughs> so it's you're drop your butts <laughs> soil <laughs> and plant <laughs> analytics analytics <laughs> Echo- echoing in the background Satan your friend uh, yeah Saint Brew location <laughs> Ah, Synergy Sorry. AG, Crop Input Retail. Now is that is now the time of the year where guys are thinking, uh, boss, to maybe make a switch and try something new? Yeah, I mean, always worth looking into a 20 or, sorry, Synergy AG. Still thinking about the AI ad read. What uh, Synergy AG has to offer. And they're locally owned and operated, right? So if, you, if you're going to get the same product, maybe uh, support a local business, have that uh, face-to-face relationship with your representative synergy ag i think it's worth uh, the switch or at least the phone call give them a chance to wow you with their customer service and whatnot cheerful extra music <laughs> taking you out uh, taking you out with a little bit of uh celine 
That's funny. What do you guys have for shout outs? I went first and take a seat. You guys go. I'll I'll go all fired up. So I got shout out to wanting to play 3 p.m. hockey in the parking lot guy. I don't know if Barney's seen our chat today, but like legit some guy was like walked into the rink today. We were playing and he's like, do you think these guys will let me play? He said to the rink guy and the rink guy's like, well, they're going to let you play or tell you to F off, right? So he just comes in, starts suiting up. No one knew who he was. Chuck's on a black jersey and he was so bad. Like he could barely skate guy. It was so bad. Like he didn't even know there was offsides. He's like, in the end, we're like, hey, you got to come out. It was like, what do you mean? We're like, well, Puck's got to cross the blue line before you go in. He's like, oh, really? And then finally, Team White is kind of like, it doesn't matter. We don't have time to teach him offsides. If he's offside, it's okay. But he stuck it out the whole game and then just chatted with the boys after, all tatted up and stuff. Absolute weapon. So shout out to him for having the balls to do that because that's not, that wouldn't be easy to do. And he stuck it out. He had the, he had the, yeah, the Edmonton Oilers Kane jersey on today. So oh. yeah, big shout out to him. <laughs> my my first one, it just came to mind after you mentioned that one. How about a shout out to our uh, co-host here, young Brandon, who apparently played a rec hockey game with no bucket. Duge. Story, go. Ronnie boy. Yeah, so I play at 3 p.m. A lot of the guys are from the Royal Regina. I showed up, I always show up at like 2.58. I get there, I get fully dressed, no Bucky. So I'm like, do I not play? We only have 12 guys. It's 301. I'm like, you know what? I'll go out there with no Bucky. Maybe I'll see somebody who has an extra pocket. So I walk out there, actually see a friend of mine, Wormy. I'm like, hey, you're here. Your kid just got off the ice. Do you have a bucket? He's like, no, I don't. So then I, I'm on the bench before the game, and I got my Apple Watch on. I'm like, hey, Siri, text Kellen Enslev, because he's always at the cooperators. I'm like... Do you have a bucket and are you at the cooperators? And he's like, I just left half an hour ago. I'm like, oh, because I know he's always there, right? So I thought he might have a bucket there. No bucket. A- so everyone on the on the team, I played the full game with no bucket. Everyone just was like, we assume your bucket was like on its way or somebody was dropping one off. But I just played the full game. And uh, what's his name there? Uh, Perkins, Mark yeah. Perkins. Yeah. Chirping me the whole game. Dugay, yeah, he was in my ear. They absolutely waxed us. Can we but, put a take uh, a seat inside of a shout out? Can we put a take a seat to Brandon as as well as a shout out for wearing an Apple Watch while playing hockey? Why? <laughs> I always wear my Apple Watch. It's awesome. I can oh, check uh, my bets while I'm on the bench, but you can't do that. If you had glasses, you'd be wearing those while you play. You'd be glasses guy. Come, <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm a big Apple Watch guy. Why when you're out working outside and you need to send a fire off a quick text, your phone's in your pocket. It's convenient. Anyway. Why wouldn't no free you uh, go check in? And I bet you, oh, you would have got a beauty out of the lost and found bin or the bin where people drop off for equipment to go to the inner city uh, hockey league. You could have just borrowed one. It would have been probably a nice SK2000 Jolfa or Canadian. Stan oh, Makita. Great. So I was kind of like thinking like, Am I going to be allowed to play with no bucket? Is this allowed? Is somebody that's sweeping the floor or running security at real going to come up and be like, you can't do this. Hey, do you boss is a hockey guy. I'm a hockey guy. You guys are hockey guys. And I told people, people like you're, I'm not worried about falling. I'm worried about the ricochet shot, right? Or the skate that rides up and, you know, puck off the temple. I wouldn't recommend it, but, uh, 
We got out unscathed. We lost about forty-eight to five. But uh, one of those one of those old veterans was sweeping up, looked over, saw you ripping with no bucket. He's thinking, ah, right on. Hockey's going back to where it should be. Back to the old school. <laughs> he doesn't know Ronnie. any different. Big Ronnie Dugay guy. Ron, Big Dugay guy. Rod Langway. I kept saying that too. Yeah. I was getting lots. I was hearing a lot of chirps and it's funny. Cause like I had more time and space because like people didn't want to go near me. <laughs> like they were like avoiding me and I was brutal as always, but even more brutal when I have no, uh, yeah. That is funny. Any other shout outs this week? Yeah. I got a couple here. One's uh, another one for Derek Dodd. Yeah. And this guy gets a lot of shout outs. Big indoor guy. Shout out to this guy. He orders all these pizza to the freeze Tallman Christmas party late. And he does this. He calls it the flip and vent. He flips the pizza over. So I've seen that done before. So the grease goes down. Then he flips the box back and puts it out with a little vent underneath. So the grease is going through a vent and he uses that little end piece as a, as a backing. And then it's like, it's like a little skateboard ramp with the pizza in it. And it is actually pretty impressive so i said i gotta give you a shout out for that dodd of course that's a dodd's trick like if of all the people that would do that he's the guy (laughs) i should have went with who do you think this is uh yeah i probably would have that would have been my top three guess for sure the dog father my other one is for the uh old not not old 22 and under our team that we sponsor, the Outlook Weaponettes out there in Outlook, they have a sports women's banquet and casino night coming up in Outlook. January 2-7, we're bringing Katrina LeMay Doan, Sammy Joe Small, and Colleen... Oh, I'm going to hack up her name. What's her name? Historics or something? Historics, yes, from Team Canada. So that's going on. That's actually cool. A sports women's evening. Katrina, Mal- Katrina Mal- LeMay Doan, oh, her legs. Remember how huge they were? No wonder she could skate so bloody fast. Salt Lake, she was a buzz saw. I remember that like it was yesterday. Big time. CLD. Yeah. If you're in that Outlook area, January 27th, that sounds like a damn good time. You can go on the uh, Outlook Ice Weapons, find out more on their website. Lady Ice Hawks is the actual name. Excellent. Yeah, I don't think I have much. I haven't really been focusing on pod-related activities here or writing down any notes over the holidays. been pretty quiet, but uh, next show, we'll come out with a bang mid-January twirl. Senior 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 hockey. hockey. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Senior game of the week. There isn't much for Western sales. Your John Deere dealer locations in bigger central butte rosetown davidson elrose and outlook you can find them at westernsales.ca we're going to have some new reads for them coming up in the new year Uh, they support everything great place great place to work anyone you know that needs a job western sales in all those locations as we mentioned game of the week do you have one i don't i don't have any games of the week pretty quiet week I was just going to say, what's the, uh, we're getting pretty close to provincial season, right? At least the oh, bracket yeah. coming out, at least the draw. Like, what are we like a week away? Week, 10 yeah. days, give or take a day or two. That's one thing I wanted to, to mention. 
is it looks like it's going to be around that January 8th, January 9th day. And our friends at Hockey Saskatchewan again said, yeah, let's team up. Let's release that live with the Monday Nooner on our YouTube channel, which only gets one show a year, and it's this one. I just really hope we know what we're doing again. Hopefully hopefully Joe can come through from Hockey Sask. He was an integral part of the uh, behind-the-scenes production last year for the uh, bracket reveal show. But, yeah, that's going to be back. By all accounts, the uh, bracket challenge is going to be back too, right? That's the plan. Yeah. Do that again. Bracketologist, uh, second shout-out for him, said he's going to be more dialed in this year. If Yeah, if if any of these – I know we had a couple reach out to us, send us a message on our social medias about maybe getting and sponsoring – if you're looking to sponsor something small, the bracket challenge is perfect for your yeah, Saskatchewan business. Get in touch with us because that is a it was a doozy, man. Lots of traction last year. How many teams in A again? Because B, there's none in B. They've kind of shifted A, and it's Just what is all A, a and C, N, D, C, D. It'll it'll C, be D, depending yeah. on the play that. I want to say it was like seventeen, and then twenty eight in C, D. Wow. Depending how they get uh, split up, so and in A, twenty something. I th- I think seventeen. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's don't that's quote a lot. me on that. Been a, be been a minute. Great, great hockey. We're getting some messages here about sticks and gas. It is absolutely crazy. I don't even yeah, want that to was go crazy. The, Sounds like wanna... nineteen, nineteen and twenty six in CD. Hearing 19. there's chop, choppers involved. Yeah, there's nineteen. I saw an uh, odd number. Couple of the buy will be key. Really curious how that goes down. This will find that's out. coming up just over a week away, right? So uh, I'll give one game of the week when it comes for Western sales. Wednesday, January third, eight thirty in Milestone. The Flyers hosting the Grenfell Spitfires after the Christmas season. Turkey legs and all that pleasantries. Two of the. Stronger teams in the Coppell Valley Highway Hockey League. So that one, that is your Western Sales Game of the Week right there. Wednesday, January 3rd in Milestone. Boys will be buzzing. Will be buzzing. We don't have a player of of the week this week. We will next next week. We'll be back to the player of the week. Uh, Of course, Last Mountain's got the tarps. Shout out to them. Always Last Mountain season. and, And Richie Brothers Auctioneers sponsor the podcast. It is always auction season. I can affirm you uh, that is the truth. It's always auction season, especially when the weather is this nice in January. You can do a lot more legwork on an auction sale for spring when you're not up to uh, your waist in snow in January. So if it's that time, rbauction.com to get you looked after. You know what else is buzzing? Our clothing giveaways. And you've been doing it with the World Juniors and the hockey uh, Monday Nooner Pick'em. Doing a great job on social media, giving away a tarp, and all of our clothing is sponsored by our clothing sponsor, GB Construction. Al Batters and the crew in Kipling, Saskatchewan, but they do work all over the country. I think into the U.S. Don't quote me on that, but man, they're always moving earth, especially in BC. GB Construction, they are the official clothing sponsor of the Monday Nooner, and those Canada tarps sought after. Nobody had Sweden winning 2 nothing out of over 100 entries. Wow. Previous years, I said, let's pick the closest two. This year, I said, nope. If you're not right on, you're not getting it. The main reason is because Canada Post is an absolute joke. 
Absolute joke of an organization. Such a joke. I was able in the past to ship out a bunch of shirts. Here's my secret. As letter mail, so you put them in one of those envelopes, squish her down, <laughs> chuck her in the mailbox, goes out with all your other letters. Went to ship a shirt the other day. Where was it going to? Not that far. Rokenville. $19 for one envelope. That was about an inch, not even wow. an inch thick, six centimeters thick, $19. I'm like, in the past, I've done these as uh letter mail. And she just kind of gave me a smart ass remark. The girl working at the uh, shopper's drug mark. <laughs> they are really, really. I mean, it's really... holiday season. They're busy, whatever. But that's a scam. All time scam alert. Canada Post. And then I think there was like a $7 fuel surcharge on that. I'm like, I could almost drive it to Rokenville for under $20. Might be a bit of a stretch, but yeah. That's crazy. So if you don't hit the number right on, we're not just going to give away a mercy tarp because Canada Post, that's my reasoning. So they suck. <laughs> yeah. Glad I got off the off my chest. Been holding on to that one for a while. <laughs> so coming up. This week, we'll have a senior show at some point. The big senior hockey reveal coming up. A lot going on for the Monday Nooner guys. My resolution in 2024 was going to be to make it out to more senior games. Then I look at my weekend schedule. Doesn't look good. Bring back the midweek games. Close I'm on board with that now. Bethune on a Tuesday playing and hold fast. That might be what it takes to get out there. Playoff time, usually get some more midweek games because they have to play a little bit more. But All right, that was the twirl. Jim McKenzie, nice and long, really good. We'll come back. A little senior action next week, and uh, yeah, go from there. Happy New Year.